Space Wars. Yep. <laughs> Everybody remembers the first time they saw Space Wars. <laughs> Welcome to Gold, Diamonds, and Death, a James Bond podcast. I'm your double O host, Jonathan Watkins. I am a writer for all things under the CinemaSense brand name, a co-host of Behind the Sense podcast. Joining me each and every week for this endeavor, he's the co-founder of CinemaSense, co-host of the weekly podcast, Recotopia, when he's not writing or podcasting. He is working hard at his dream of becoming a champion figure skater. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's correct. He's also one of my good friends, Mr. Chris Atkinson. How are you doing? Hello, sir? I'm doing all right. Nice. We are going to be diving in this week to For Your Eyes Only. You know, oddly enough, I did actually think about calling this podcast For Your Ears Only. That was the first thing that popped in my head. And mm-hmm. I found out there was like quite a few podcasts named that, even though I couldn't find one that was Bond related. But just, it was just such a catchy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It was I was just about like to a, say, like, if there is a Bond-related podcast called this, that's not the best movie that you can name your podcast. No, after. that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and maybe there was one. It's been so long. I mean, that's been months since I was looking into that. And most of them didn't still, weren't still running, but I think they were just general news, stuff like that. So I guess it was kind of like, you get to hear this from us every, I don't know. It's just interesting. Right. And the other one was, uh, oddly enough, cause this will be the next movie we cover was, uh, Octopotty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that had been used by a previous, uh, Bond podcast. Mm-hmm. So, uh, kudos to them for, oh, yeah. <laughs> for naming their podcast octopody yep uh so yeah so we're just gonna dive into this uh for your eyes only the 1980 we got bond in the 80s this mm-hmm. is our first uh 80s 80s bond film and uh it's called for your eyes only and our first segment is a little behind the scenes thing we like to call eon flood this is a journey i'm gonna make a movie we have to go back kate wow how did you know all that stuff i did my research i don't understand any of this what the fuck is going on we are going to scour through the history of eon productions and give you all the highs and lows that went into the makings of these films all right so for your eyes only is the 12th film in the official james bond franchise uh 13th film we've covered it was released in the uk on june 24th 1981 and in the u.s on june 26 it made 195 million worldwide so not too much less than moonraker and it cost a lot less Mm -hmm. than moonraker so big hit uh in the u.s alone it made 54 million of that 195 million, that's about 163 million mm-hmm. uh, in in 2021-2022 dollars. Uh, finished eighth at the box office. It made around four million more than the Four Seasons, which is I do remember that title. I think Alan Alda's in that movie. It was one that like my mother or somebody watched a decent amount on cable back in the day, mm-hmm. but I've never seen it. Uh, it made about four million less than that year's Oscar winner, uh, Chariots of Fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark was number one that year. I don't think that's a surprise. Uh, it was a, it made about a hundred million more than the number two film, which was on Golden Pond. <laughs> yeah, good God. Yeah, <laughs> which is interesting because on Golden Pond beat Superman two. Superman two was three. Hmm. Uh, I think they were close, but but, but it was on hey, Golden yeah. Pond made over a hundred million. I was about to say uh, it, it goes to show that, but what the Oscars do. But then why isn't Chariots of Fire higher? Uh, you know yeah so that's true although i think chariots of fire is was a uh was sort of a 
like a surprise winner. I don't think anybody expected that one to win. No, I, I think I think in fact Raiders was the one that everybody thought would win. Really? Um, or maybe on maybe on Golden Pond. That's interesting. Uh, on Golden Pond though was also I remember I think I even saw this. I think my mom even took me with her to see this in the theater. I was really young, but I I think she's mentioned this before. Uh, that was a big release because it was Henry Fonda. Mm. I don't know if he had passed away yet, but it was it was right around then. Mm-hmm. And of course, Jane Fonda played his daughter and Catherine Hepburn. So I think that was like a big like holiday kind of release. So maybe that's why it you know it did a little more. Maybe mm-hmm. Chariots of Fire was a little more limited. Yeah, Henry Fonda um, died in '82. So okay, so that yeah, so that was uh that but that I remember that being like what little I can remember of that time period. I remember that being like a a big thing or it seemed like it was mm-hmm. um yeah yeah i th- i've always read that that like a, well or maybe i've just read that people say they think raiders lost ark should have won maybe it wasn't the favorite i don't I, know i don't, really I don't know, know how they i mean it, yeah. it seems like um the oscars operated basically on you know what's the prestige uh yeah pre- i mean they and they've always kind of been that way but like yeah uh annie hall beat star wars in 1977 so exactly. it, was, it wasn't really a you know box office thing that's that true. they were going after that's but, true uh you know it wouldn't surprise me if after four years of well actually more like seven years six or seven years of big huge box office uh started by jaws and everything that they would start like people would start gravitating towards well maybe the movie with them that made all that money should get the oscars i don't know so so that year uh you had reds on golden pond raiders chariots of fire and atlantic city so yeah maybe raiders wasn't i think maybe et was uh, maybe et is the one i'm thinking of because et was nominated the next year yeah so i don't know i don't know but Raiders was was huge that year. I'll mention the rest of them though. Superman two was in there. Uh, Arthur, which was a huge comedy. Yeah. Uh, Stripes, another huge comedy. Uh, the Cannonball Run, which also a huge comedy, but I don't think anybody really likes it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Time Bandits. I didn't. I mean, I didn't remember Time Bandits being. In, he was tenth. I mean, it. it mm-hmm. But it made like forty something million. That's a that's a decent. That's more than I thought it made. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a really good movie, but I just don't feel like people really talk about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um. This was the final Bond film to be solely released by United Artists. The company was absorbed by MGM yeah. uh, soon after this film was released. And of course, MGM goes through a lot of issues moving forward. Mm-hmm. But um, and there's a there's some to that why for your eyes only is for your eyes only. Um, so Broccoli claims that they really wanted to get back more to Leica from Russia with Love, and they wanted it to be a little more, a little more. They say realistic. I mean, I put quotes around that because, come on, mm-hmm. but. <laughs> That hour-long sea ski scene. <laughs> yeah, not very realistic, yeah, but, yeah. But anyways, so they, but they did want to get away from like the big science fiction stuff, like they did with Moonraker and the stuff they did with Spy Who Loved Me. But a lot of that, I I feel like maybe that is true. But they also had to cut the budget quite a bit, and a lot of that had to do with Heaven's Gate because Heaven's Gate comes out the year before by United Artists. At the time, I think maybe the maybe the biggest one of the biggest box office bombs mm-hmm. ever, like it. It went way over budget, way over schedule. A uh, huge bomb, pretty much ruined Michael Cimino's career. He would direct a couple more movies after that, but he never got to do something on that level. Uh, I don't think. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because he did like he did that Year of the Dragon with Mickey Rourke, and there's like a couple other things in there, but they're a lot smaller. Yeah, I think he did Desperate Hours, which was a remake with Mickey Rourke, also. Yeah, I, but I think it definitely made it where he it was hard for him to work again. Yeah, after that. and that and that's a movie much like For Your Eyes Only. Heaven's Gate is definitely a movie that has been kind of reassessed. Um, I don't think I've seen it. I've never um, seen it. I, and, yeah, and, it's, and it's on my list. I'm someone but, who gave the Deer Hunter a million chances, and everybody loves that movie. Yeah, and I don't like that's it. True. So, that's true. That's so true. Yeah, I'm, I I don't dislike it, but I'm I don't understand why it's praised the way it is, especially in a year. What was that? That was, I guess that was '78. I was thinking that was the year Apocalypse Now came out, but that was Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah. Uh, so, but '78 still, there was a better movie than the Deer Hunter. Mm-hmm. I mean, Animal House was a better movie than the Deer <laughs> Hunter. Um, uh, in my opinion. So anyway, so Heaven, Heaven's Gate really caused United Artists to be in a bit of a, a situation, so they couldn't spend as much on this one. Uh, this did save them, they thought, for a second. But then, like I said, eventually they did have to sell all their stuff to, to MGM. So Broccoli said they wanted this to be more grittier and more realistic, is what he said. Mm. I guess it's a little grittier, I guess. I don't know. Uh, filming locations included Greece, Italy, and England. Uh, they did get to go back to England uh, because uh, the uh, 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 Margaret Thatcher mm. uh helped with the the tax situation got changed and she so. en- she ends up in the movie kind of yeah, sort of <laughs> kind of yeah that that lady actually i have her i'll go ahead and mention that uh because i don't have a lot on her but that was um hold on one second it was janet brown mm. who was known in england for doing a dead-on impersonation of margaret thatcher mm-hmm. so she was kind of like it's kind of like when they would cast Rich Little. Like there's like a couple times where Rich Little got cast as somebody just because he did a good impression. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what that that's what that reminded me of. And she was I didn't write her husband's name down, but she was married to one of the main stars. There's this British film series that I've never seen a single film from, but it's called Carry On. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, there's like thirty something films in that series. Like they had like one a year for like ever. Wow. Uh, and I don't think they've made one since like the '90s. But uh, her husband was one of the main guys. It was in a bunch of those movies. I thought that was funny. Hmm. Uh, the original story uh, Fleming wrote was actually supposed to be an episode of a James Bond TV show that was maybe going to happen in the late '50s. Uh, it did not happen, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then he eventually ended up writing uh, a couple, some short stories. Well, this one is based on two short stories, right? It is. The final film is based on two short stories. Yeah, so it's like for your eyes only, and what's the other one? Mm-hmm. It's got one name it's uh it's i don't i don't know how to pronounce it yeah but it, it, is, it was something they they did pronounce it like some, Risico. yeah something like that yeah re, yeah re, yeah or risico maybe i don't know but yeah, yeah. R- it's risico yeah and they even, they even in this one uh took a scene out of the spy who loved me book and and adapted it into this too as yeah. well uh, live and let die. They took out. There's Actually, the, no. It's the, live and let die. It's not yeah, the kill hauling. Yeah. The uh, where they tie them up before they throw them in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yeah. apparently called kill hauling. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was in live and let die. There's also a scene that they took from uh, the Goldfinger novel that mm-hmm. wasn't used in the Goldfinger book. So they, yeah, they kind of mixed and matched a bunch of different things. Yeah. Uh, but and we'll definitely get into that. Uh, they did actually. It's it's pretty accurate too. The way they, did. it's kind of interesting. Like it's maybe more interesting than what the movie ends up being, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way they put everything together. Um, John Glenn gets hired to direct this. I think we mentioned this like last week. John Glenn's been like a second unit director and stuff on a lot of these. Yeah. But they hired him to direct this one. He's going to direct five Bond films total. They're all in the 80s. He directs mm-hmm. every single 80s 
uh, Bond movie. And um, I read a couple of different things about why they hired him. But one thing I saw a few times was that the previous directors like Terrence Young, Guy Hamilton, Lewis Gilbert, Peter Hunt, uh, they would have all been too expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have done it for what they were willing to pay. So John Glenn, I guess, was willing to take a pay cut or not not get paid as much as them because mm-hmm. he had not uh, done a whole lot at that point. Um, also, uh, due to the budget constraints, this which we've already kind of mentioned this, this story is a lot simpler. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty it does feel more like something like from Russia with love. Even if it's not the quality, mm-hmm. the the type of story that's being told definitely feels more like From Russia With Love. Ken Adam was working on uh, Pennies From Heaven, so he was not able to be involved in this one. I think we mentioned last week, I don't think he comes back. He doesn't come back. I would have liked to have heard the story from the multiverse where Ken Adam is the production designer on this movie because, yeah. because they told Peter Lamont, who's the guy they bring mm-hmm. in here, yeah. uh, you know, who, who I think worked his way up through the art department yeah. and everything. Yeah. He was in the art department um, on previous films. He, they told him straight up, none of that Ken Adam stuff uh, for this. So I was wondering what they would have done with, you know, if Ken Adam was on the set and said, what well, you don't have the budget that you normally do. And, and, and it's, and Ken Adam doesn't well, actually, I, I looked at his production design. I didn't look at anything else, but it looked like he took a break there for a while too. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, they said pennies from heaven, but I didn't see that in his credits for some reason. Like maybe it wasn't production design. He was credited. Maybe for. he was doing something else. I'm not yeah, sure. I, I mean, know. they, they said that in the behind the scenes yeah. too, pennies from pennies from heaven. So, yeah, I saw um, that. but, um, anyway, yeah, I just, I think that would have been really super interesting to hear that story yeah. if, if, if he did end up now you go and look at ken adams credits after all of this and he does some very basic movies yeah you know so they're not like so he worked on those yeah. yeah so so he he could have been totally fine with just doing a regular bond but uh anyway that's uh that's or maybe was, he would have turned it down i mean that's yeah. what i'm saying i don't know maybe they wouldn't have even really maybe they wouldn't have even thought about hiring him but he just happened to be working on that movie so they you know they mm-hmm. did that pennies from heaven i don't know if you ever seen it steve never, martin's never, in it no i've never seen it i don't know how much i like it but it's a it's a really interesting movie it's like set during the depression it's a musical uh it's based on a it's based on a british uh i think tv series mm-hmm. that or a, a, a british creator came something i don't know yeah it's, uh, i don't this I, is, heard, I think i watched it a couple years ago this is why i couldn't find him he was he's listed as the art department on pennies oh, from heaven gotcha. and that was his last that was his last credit as art department interesting um, but uh, anyway, hmm. so yeah, so yeah, like you said, Peter Lamont gets promoted uh, to production designer. Uh, scenery is less elaborate. Um, I this movie's pro. I, I this movie looks good though. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, it's it it looks it looks really nice. Uh, so I don't I don't think that was the issue with, with what problems I have with it. Tom Makowitz, uh, he wrote an outline, and Christopher Wood turns in a first draft in 1978 because, as we said the past couple weeks, this was supposed to be the follow up to the spy who loved me. And then they decided to go the science fiction route because of space, uh, because of space wars, because of star Wars, <laughs> space wars. Yeah. <laughs> God, that would have been a completely and different movie. Everybody like. remembers the first time they saw space wars. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so our good buddy, Richard Maybaum, uh, mm. comes back of course he does they show a picture of richard maybaum during the uh behind the scenes and he's like an old <laughs> dude with a cane yeah. and everything and i'm like i'm like yep that's that's about right he's been he's been with this franchise and for 20 like, years now 
they always know they're going to, it's like they always know they're going to go to him. So it's like, why isn't he just the first person? But he could be doing other things. It, I don't it, know. I it mean, could be where he says, don't hesitate to call me if you need me to do it. Yeah, it could be. So when so when Maybaum comes in, uh, Richard Maybaum comes in, he, uh, he rewrites it pretty much from scratch. And he's the one that comes up with adapting the couple of stories mm-hmm. the, uh, for your eyes only. And, and For Your Eyes Only is the name of the collection, but it is a collection of short stories. One story is called For Your Eyes Only, and then the other story that they used out of that collection is uh, the Risico. Uh, but uh, there is Quantum of Solace is a short story in that um, in that collection. From a View to a Kill is a short story in that collection. So we'll be, we'll be coming back to those. And then uh, Michael G. Wilson who we've talked about mm-hmm. in the past, he, he's, he gets involved in the, in the writing a little bit. Uh, and then there was a novelist and a screenwriter named Ronald Hardy. Uh, and it was Hardy's idea to use the character of Julia Havelock as the main female, which is that they changed the name from the, from the story, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it's not Julia in the story. It's, Oh no, I'm sorry. It's Julia in the story in the movie. It's uh, Mar- is it Melina? Melina. Melina. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I got that confused. Uh, Richard Maybaum also said in an interview that they tried to go back to the earlier films, but he felt like Sean Connery, he felt like this was more suited for Sean Connery or someone that wasn't Roger Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that he thought that was part of the problem. Uh, and he was also real disappointed with how the love story turned out, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about that. This pre-title sequence, I want to go ahead and talk about because it is weird. Um, <laughs> A lot of critics think this was a personal fuck you to Kevin McClory. I think it was. I, I don't know how it couldn't be. Uh, which Kevin McClory at this time, and if for those that don't, if you haven't listened to the past episodes, Kevin McClory was the one uh, that started suing them for the rights because he thought he had the rights to Thunderball. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been going on since the 60s. And he finally, they finally, I think what, it was in the 70s. It was like mid-70s. I don't remember which movie it was right after. I think it was maybe between Golden Gun and Spy Who Loved Me. I can't remember, but... Uh, he got awarded the rights to that story. So in that, he's also has the rights basically to Blofeld and to, uh, you know, and to Spectre and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And at this time, they know that Never Say Never Again is starting to become a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was already called Never Say Never Again, but Never Say Never Again, uh, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks because it opens in 83 along with Octopussy. Uh, so that'll be talked about in a couple weeks. So... What you basically have, well, first off, you have a you have a reference to Bond's wife, uh, where he visits the grave. Yep. Which I really feel like that might have been kind of an influence on the Vesper Lynn uh, gravesite uh, visit yeah. in uh, No Time to Die. Well, I think so, and especially the um, we have all the time in the world. That that's a that's mm-hmm. a big thing that they they keep running through on that last Bond and yeah and. Uh, so yeah, I, I I definitely think that's yeah for sure. Yeah, and it's and it's kind of cool. I like that every now and then they kind of throw. I think License to Kill. There's there's some stuff about her in that. Yep. Apparently, I read also Goldeneye, uh, that line that Sean Bean gives about the how many martinis have you drank to silence the cries of your victims. Mm-hmm. And I think originally it was it was something specifically referencing uh, his late wife. Yeah. Uh, and then they ended up changing it because they thought people wouldn't understand at that point because it had been it had been yeah, since 1969. Very long, yeah. So he's visiting her. This like priest or something like comes up to him. Is like, hey, we just got a phone call. Yeah, which I don't know why Bond's way, not questioning this. I just, I don't, I, I you know, they 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 do this all the way throughout um, these movies where 
I don't quite understand why anybody is hard to find in these movies, the way they find people in this. Um, and they do this a lot in this movie, but like in a lot of the previous movies where, uh, where no matter where somebody is, they have a way of community, like finding some way to communicate to them or whatever. And like, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's a gadget and that makes sense. But yeah, in this in this case, he's just in some rains in a cemetery, and they're just like, yeah. "All right, I got a call." Maybe it's I mean, a, maybe it hits on the top ten places that Bond visits yeah. or something. Maybe he maybe it's an anniversary kind of thing. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, who knows? But anyways, this guy shows up. He's like, "Hey, there's a helicopter ready to pick you up. You got a mission to go on." He gets in the helicopter. The pilot gets killed through like this electrical shock, and then all of a sudden, the helicopter is being remote controlled. And you don't actually see the person except for from behind. You see this bald guy in a wheelchair holding a cat. Mm-hmm. They never say Blofeld because they can't. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's clearly him. It looks like Telly Savalas or Donald Pleasance from behind. Yep. And then they have uh, the the, char- the the actual actor sitting in the chair is John Hollis. Mm-hmm. And the voice is Robert uh, Rietti is okay. doing the voice. And then uh, Bond takes back control of the air of the helicopter. He then somehow gets like I don't know what you call the helicopter at the bottom, like the feet or whatever. I don't know what you call those, but he hooks one of those into the wheelchair, and then he drops not Blofeld, quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, down like a chimney chute. Yeah, ch- or, like uh, one of these smoke like stack. smokestacks. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the and, it's crazy and uh, nothing to do with the rest of the movie. And you know, this may have been a fuck you to McQuarrie, but mm-hmm. it is the most annoying opening sequence I have ever watched in any movie. I, I And it's so off tone. To this to this I, I mean, especially for Bond films for sure, but I yeah. think in it's it's memorable in all the wrong ways and 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 mainly it takes me back to some uh saturday morning cartoon days mm-hmm. where uh where you would have a cackling villain and that's all they do is cackle throughout and that i would i would i would wager to say there's about 40 to 50 moments where the villain cackles during this opening sequence it's just nothing but laughing. Yeah, yeah. And it killed me that they're talking about making this more realistic, more gritty. But then that, that <laughs> opening scene, like the tone of that opening sequence is so bizarre. It doesn't fit with the rest of the movie. And it completely like just kind of like fucks with you for a good 10 or 15 minutes after the credits. Because you're just like, I don't understand. Like mm-hmm. we're going now we're going to this really dark, serious like thing. And yeah, we just watched like he has a line of dialogue. The Blofeld carrot, not Blofeld. Sorry. Mm-hmm. What does he say when Bond like picks him up? He says something like, oh, he says we can make a deal. I will buy you a delicatessen. What the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know. I had, And I didn't have the subtitles on yet. I was like, wait, did he just say that? So I went back and turned them on. <laughs> Oh God. But yeah, it's just so bizarre. And I did, I mean, but like I said, everything I found on it was just basically like, you know, they just, they wanted to basically say, we don't need Blofeld. Uh, that smokestack, interestingly enough, though, was also some of the footage of that area was also used. Uh, they shot some stuff there for a uh, full metal jacket. I hadn't seen Full Metal Jacket in a long time, so I don't I don't know what specifically it was in there. But I'm anyway. looking up on the internet to see if there's any answer to this delicatessen and this delicatessen question. <laughs> I didn't uh, even think to like do research in it. I just know that's what he says. I won't. Like, I'm I gonna won't. buy you a sandwich shop. The IMDb uh, in a frequently asked question. <laughs> I don't know if this is right, but 
just for posterity, it says, it <laughs> seems that a delicatessen was a popular mafia commodity back in the roaring uh. 20s and 30s. And the most valuable delis were the ones with stainless steel countertops, easy to clean, thus less bacteria-laden than wooden chopping blocks. Consequently, a delicatessen in stainless steel was considered a worthy gift and thus a potent bribe. It is reported Hmm. that the phrase is attributable to Albert R. Broccoli. Interesting. All right. (laughs) Well, so so there's that. But I was just saying, though, I, you know, it's, if that's what they were trying to do was say, we don't need Blofeld, like Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker kind of already showed us that. Yeah, like, you exactly. guys clearly can make interesting villains. And then, and then, well, we'll talk, I, I don't know. And then you don't have like the strongest villain in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. Interesting. But that, yeah, that, that's such a, that's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Uh, and that's the only thing I ever remember from this movie because it's been so long since I've seen it. Like, it, that's the thing, but it makes sense. Like, that's the memorable. And that's that's also sucks that that's the memorable mm-hmm. part that people yep. remember. So we get more back, but it wasn't a guarantee. Uh, Broccoli was concerned that they weren't going to be able because he didn't have a contract. Because we said that last week after uh, Spy Who Loved Me, he was filmed to film. Uh, he was getting a little older. He was like fifty three, I think, when they filmed this, uh, or fifty three, fifty four, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he. Mm-hmm. But I think it probably had more to do with cost because they don't seem to have a problem putting him in the next couple of movies. Although I don't know all the stories behind that. I, I'm pretty sure that they like kind of had to beg him to be in a view to a kill. Like he, he did not want to be in that, but I don't know. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. So actors that were considered to take over, uh, Lewis Collins, uh, he was mostly known. There was a popular British television crime drama called the professionals that he was on Ian Ogilvy. Uh, he took over the role of Simon Templar in the later Saint adaptations, which actually, which Roger Moore uh, played before him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Billington, uh, who was in The Spy Who Loved Me, uh, as uh, he was the agent that got killed. That 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 agent Triple X was yep. that was her like lover. Yep. Uh, I think we even talked about that last. I week think we or did two weeks ago because I think he was up for the role also. Like when they were talking about. Maybe it was Live and Let Die. Maybe it was before Live and Let Die. He was one of the people. Um, Michael Jaston was in a popular show at the time called Quiller, another British show. And then, of course, Timothy Dalton. Mm-hmm. Uh, Timothy Dalton, though, actually, I don't know if he was offered the role, but he told them he didn't have any interest. He was not a fan of the uh, direction he thought the series was taking. I don't know if he didn't realize what they were doing with Fear Eyes Only. I think he was referring to Moonraker and mm-hmm. like Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah. The more like fantastical gadgets and stuff. You know, Dalton's like, I'm not doing that. Right. So uh, uh, Roger Moore finds out that other actors are being screen tested. And uh, he announced to the media that he wasn't going to return. I guess he was offended. Uh, but they talked him into it. He came. So he eventually, like two weeks later, they had signed a contract and and he was back. Bernard Lee, we talked about, passed away before they could film uh, the M scene, which is, and I don't know, I don't know how much M they had in this movie, but I will say, especially, and I'll talk about this more when I talk about the books, M does play a pretty significant role in the story they adapted. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they were going to use him the same way in this, but I feel like that kind of stinks because I remember reading that story going, man, that would have been cool if Bernard Lee got to do some of these scenes. Yeah. Uh, they didn't want to recast. We kind of talked about this last week. They they didn't feel like it was respectful to recast. They introduced this character, uh, Chief of Staff. Well, they said that Elm was away. Like, that's how they do it in the yeah, movie. Elm is away. Yeah, on leave. Yeah, so you get Chief of Staff Bill Tanner, uh, played by James uh, Villiers. 
Um, you also get the return of Jeffrey Keene as the Minister of Defense. Mm-hmm. He'll, he'll, like we said in the past couple episodes, he'll be around for a minute. Uh, Carol, I'm going to screw up some of these names. Carol Bouquet. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, she plays Melina Havelock. I don't know why they changed the name Melina, but they did. I didn't see anywhere where they said why they changed it. Um, she had auditioned for the role of Holly Goodhead in Moonraker mm-hmm. uh, and didn't get that. But she, but she got, she got, she got put in this. Um, I also find speaking going to the name change though. Name changes often are just not even that interesting. It's just some some producer or somebody thought like a name wasn't American enough or it wasn't yeah. tough enough or you know. It's crazy. Um, anyways, uh, she plays Melina Havelock. Uh, the age gap between Moore and Bouquet was 23 years. Yeah. Uh, Lynn Holly Johnson, who plays B.B. Uh, Dahi, the ice skater, uh, she was only a year younger than than uh, than yeah, Bouquet was. Yeah, that's the uh, the interesting dynamic that's in this movie is that they portray Bond as. Well, I'm going to hold off the advances of BB, but mm-hmm. I'm totally down to have the advances of of uh, Melina or or later. Yeah. And there's not much of an age gap. I think they are playing different ages. I mean, don't they get me wrong, sure. uh, because uh, Lynn Holly Johnson is playing a, a a figure skater, and I think we're supposed to believe she's like 16 or 17 years yeah, 18 old. or 19 at the oldest because she's she hasn't like really i think she's just training to become like a a big time figure skater and i would think you'd have to be pretty young if you're doing that yeah if you're most if you're figure a, skaters aren't that old yeah if you're a training figure skater you're definitely like under 18 uh yeah but uh, i think that's what they are implying in that i don't think they say her age Mm-mm, she's she's obviously wise behind beyond her years mm-hmm. in this but like still like it's it's an interesting thing in real life there's not any real age difference between the one that he ends yeah. up with and the one that he turns down so it, yeah that's yeah that that is interesting and i will say in roger moore's defense he did not he was not a fan of this um of the gap between him and bouquet yeah and yeah we talk we'll get more into that with a view to a kill because that even comes up again where he gets really concerned uh about that uh, it makes him really uncomfortable but but mm-hmm. he was able to do you know yeah but but the love story is so like not even there in this not one, really though. It almost it almost doesn't even matter for the most part uh, there i mean bouquet is playing uh you know is playing like what the spy who loved me basically but ex- yeah. except except they're they're more they're more co-workers or whatever going yeah. towards the same goal during this whole thing and there's not really yeah. any any reasons to get into a romantic entanglement throughout the whole movie. And except for the, the last scene, um, which is kind of a, a, like a, like a running joke from the last scene in in Moonraker where Mm -hmm. they, they, they tie everybody into the call, um, while he's having sex. And so that up until then, I remember thinking like, I didn't even remember like a lot of flirting. Like there wasn't a lot of like typical, like, one-liners it, and it, it actually in the end doesn't even make sense other than the fact yeah, that the exactly. movie's over and bond always has sex with the girl at the end of the movie and like that's the only reason why this scene is even in yeah, there and they and they thought everybody loved the end of moonraker i guess which and maybe at the time they did i don't know i mean mm-hmm. it seems silly now maybe at the time that was you know like yeah really funny i don't know anyways uh Topol is it Topol? I think it has to uh, be right. To- it's either that or Topol. I, I think Topol. They, I think the behind the scenes. I've heard two different, um, two different uh, pronunciations, but I think it's Topol. 
Uh, yeah, but, I think you're right. But he's from Fiddler in the Roof. Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah, one uh, might have even won Best Actor that year. I did not look that up, but um, let's see. Oscar for Fiddler on the Roof. Obviously. He was a nominee. Okay, he was nominated. Yeah, uh, and Fiddler on the Roof was a was a was a huge movie mm-hmm. uh, that year. Um, it was actually I don't remember was it it was like seventy seventy one it was the it was the highest grossing film mm-hmm. yeah it was the highest grossing film that year by quite a bit uh so so he's coming off that I mean this is like ten years removed from that but he's he's in a decent amount of stuff uh but uh he's pretty good in this but he plays Milo's Colombo uh the character was named after Gio Ashino Colombo who is the Ferrari engine designer okay which was something that uh Fleming was a huge fan of <laughs> right. Uh, and then Topol suggested that pistachios be used as a character trait, and okay. then those get used in the the warehouse assault scene where he's showing where the where the men need to be to shoot. I do or think whatever. that's hilarious where he says that he smuggles gold, diamonds, yeah. all this, and pistachios is the last one, and then he <laughs> yeah. assures him that no, it's not heroin, but but I do <laughs> I do dabble occasionally in pistachios. Don't judge me. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a Topol thing. He, yeah. he put that in there. That mm-hmm. was all because of Topol. Yeah, uh, he, he's one of my favorite parts of this movie. Uh, yeah, he, he he seems to be having fun. Yeah, so he's kind of a joy. Uh, Lynn Holly Johnson, we just mentioned, she plays BB Dahi. She's uh, she's an ice skating prodigy who really wants to fuck Bond mm-hmm. uh, and a really? lot of other guys. Yeah, uh, like, one of like her everybody. Lines there's of a dialogue. Po- there's a point where where she points the uh, one of the bad guys out who's like one of those champion yeah. ski shooter guys yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And like and and she goes like he's totally dreamy and Bond is like, "Wow, well you're really fickle with your with with the, you know, it's like <laughs> she, she likes everybody in this." So. <laughs> She even says that because her uncle, which I guess I should have mentioned him already, Julian Glover yeah. uh, from Empire Strikes Back. Julian Jones, Glover has probably Crusade. got like 200 credits to his name, he I does. would he think. He has a lot. He has a lot. Uh, I, I knew him mostly from Empire and Last Crusade, but yeah, he's in a ton of shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays Aristotle Christatos. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, and, and this is another Moonraker weird thing where um, Christatos is, he's the one, he is Bond's contact when he goes looking, which will we haven't really gotten into the plot, but there is this, uh, there's this subway monitoring, um, uh, device, the MacGuffin of the movie. It's yeah. the ATAC. ATAC. I think yeah. It's, it's an ATAC. A- yeah. Yeah. And, uh, they're trying to find it because the, the, the ship it was on sunk. And so bond gets sent to, uh, I think this is Italy where he talks, he, he meets them mm-hmm. and he, uh, Christatos is his contact, and Christatos puts him on the tri- puts him on to Milo's Colombo. Mm-hmm. But then you find out Christatos is like uh he's like a he's like a war hero, uh or whatever. He's a British like hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you find out that he was actually a double agent, which is like the exact same thing with the bad guy in Moonraker. Yeah, I thought yeah. I thought that was really bizarre. Mm-hmm. And Colombo is not a good guy. But he's not the one responsible for all this mm-hmm. shit. It's really Cristado. So yeah, J- uh, Julian Glover, who's a great actor, uh, plays Helm. Lynn Holly Johnson is his niece. Yeah. I think that's right. And right now, and is there some implication that he wants to like marry her or something? Like, there's some. I missed that if there was. I'm not saying there's there was. There's a point it, but I where, well, it. he says at the beginning, he says something to the fact that uh, he he she's she has she um. 
I, I don't remember the whole line, but I just remember it being odd that she that he brings up something about how she's uh, basically innocent and doesn't know the ways of the world mm-hmm. and all that, and and he sounds like he's that saying does, that in true. a weird way. And then later on, where she he throws her on the bed and and says, "You're gonna do what I say or whatever," and she goes, "Well, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna stay because I know what you want" or something like that. It's like, oh, what do true. you want? <laughs> and I'm like, "Is there is yeah. it like some sort of implication?" I don't know if that's really what they were going for, or if my mind just wandered or whatever. But yeah, anyway, it, it felt it, weird. It, it, there might have been something missing that got cut out or something that would have made that make more sense. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I no, I I do remember that now, but I'd forgotten about it at the time. Mm-hmm. But she also makes a comment because uh, when Bond is saying to her, like when she's trying to like bed him and Bond's like, she's like, she snuck into his room and then she's mm-hmm. like under the covers or something when he gets in there. And then he's like, I don't think your uncle would be too happy about this. And then she, he says something about, and then she's like, my uncle doesn't know anything about me. He thinks I'm still a virgin, mm-hmm. that, which I thought was a really just a bizarre it, line because like I have nieces and I'm never going to be concerned about it. like I'm never yeah. that like that thought process is never going to be in my head. Yeah. Uh, so that's why so, I think it's like a weird relationship that's going on <laughs> there. Uh, but uh, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, that that very line, in fact, and this may not be the place to talk about this, but like that very line made me think, man, this movie, that this movie is just the eighties. Like it is, <laughs> it, it is. is the very beginning of what we know as the eighties. Like there's, no- I agree 100%. I was shocked at how eighties this movie was. Yeah. Like, like what, what the eighties became. So maybe bond and influenced a little bit. Cause usually like the early parts of the decade are very similar to the previous decade. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you have like, American Gigolo came out in 1980. That feels like something that kind of was a precursor to stuff that was going to be happening. But I think this falls in that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because I mean, there's like, like like the first like four or five Friday the 13th films. If you told me those were made in the 70s, I would totally believe you. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that was a lot of movies, you know, I, but yeah, it's interesting. I'm See, sorry, what I were you mean, saying? Yeah, so like the, you know, just the, the one of the opening scenes is, you know, they go, he goes to, goes to that island to find the assassin mm-hmm. and it's this, just this huge mansion pool party mm-hmm. with a bunch of mm-hmm. bikini babes mm-hmm. and stuff yep and yep. uh and and they've done drug stuff in bond before but i don't know about being this heavy into a drug mm-hmm. smuggling operation like we're gonna see a lot more drug stuff later but yeah um but like but this was this is all about heroin smuggling mm-hmm. and stuff like that which you know before we're talking about people who want to rule the world and we have you know it goes it goes a long way to talking about how they wanted to ground this a little bit more and everything so uh not saying that it's it's weird it's just that the 80s is such a unique like like all the crime and cop movies mm-hmm. and stuff seem to be about drugs that's the thing like that's that's uh that's what we always seem no, to be going right. after in those things the the score by bill conti by the way like mm-hmm. that's a different uh, this score sounds so much like what we're going to hear in the 80s and like there's some notes in here that i'm like that sounds like 
this composer or it sounds like that composer but it's bill conti all the way so like i'm wondering if certain composers found some of this stuff from bill conti who had i think it just uh he'd won an oscar for rocky i think that's what mm-hmm. he had done and then he he moved on into and he i think he's almost the sound of the 80s so like like oh yeah it's, it's just it, the 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 music the way everything's going it's this movie is just 80s as hell it's unbelievable it really is it really is though no, that that i wrote that down that that really surprised me there's a right after that pool scene there's a car chase mm-hmm. and i was sitting there thinking if you you could put like chuck norris or like charles bronson mm-hmm. in, there in place of bond and tell me this was a canon like mm-hmm. studios film from like 1985 i would believe you yeah because that's what or like michael dudkoff or something i mean that's what it that's what it kind of looks like it looks like an american ninja movie mm-hmm. yeah. or or something yeah. Uh, but and then also like yeah, but no, you're right. The drug thing is definitely an '80s thing, or that because like Michael Mann really lays hard into that when he gets into like Miami Vice and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Canon Studios, all their films were about fucking drugs. Well, and of course, we're shit. we're gonna get into the Just Say No era too. Uh, yep. With all that, uh, I don't know if that has. I don't think Just Say No has started yet. But I don't think so. Wasn't that Nancy Reagan? It was Nancy Reagan, but that's gonna yeah. be in the next few years, and I think that just yeah, fuels yeah, yeah. even more of these like and, drug movies. And that could have started in eighty one because I mean Reagan would have been taking office and you know so that could have started this year but yeah mm-hmm. no that's definitely going to be a thing like her and uh, was it Soleil Moon Fry right Good yeah, yeah 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 Punky Brewster mm-hmm. uh, yeah but no yeah Bill Conti since you brought him up yeah uh, I thought it was interesting that he did this film I did not know that beforehand uh, but yeah was Rocky that? of course what was that uh, Bill Conti oh, Bill since G- you brought B- him yeah. up mm-hmm. I didn't know he had done this score I was shocked when I saw it was him yeah because it's not it's not a great score mm-hmm. first off. But uh, he did the Karate Kid yep. uh, after this. He did the right stuff, which is a great score. And the well, like Dynasty I said, theme. There's a lot of things in the this score that remind me of other things that came yes. later. Like yes. like uh, Michael Kamen's Die Hard uh, score yeah. sort of comes up in this. And uh, there was something else that came up in this. I can't remember what movie it was, but... Uh, oh, I think it was Rambo uh, is what came with Jerry Goldsmith did oh, yeah. Rambo. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but there was some Rambo-esque type stuff in this as well. Yeah, you've definitely still got like the the latter era of disco, I think, kind of in there. But he also brings in a lot of like funk, uh, mm-hmm. which I think funk music really gets into a lot of the later 80s uh, stuff. So he takes the Bond, he takes the John Barry stuff and then he mm-hmm. just kind of makes it a little more poppy more funky you know Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah it's interesting but yeah no i'm glad you said that because that was like one of the first things i wrote while i was watching it was like man this movie feels like it's in the 1980s and i just that's really odd from a movie that came out in 1981 for me uh i think you because uh which this will be weeks after that, but I know you had your guy's friend, LaRange. I think it was LaRange that said that on Recotopia about like, he feels like the 80s, like what we think of the 80s is almost like not until like the late 80s or early 90s. Yeah, there's there, there's things yeah. about the early part of a decade that share yeah. traits with the late part of the decade. But, you know, there's a lot of things too where stuff is just more advanced and like mm-hmm. like this is this is definitely more advanced, quote unquote, like you look at most movies from 1981, uh, there's going to be a lot of things that share from the 70s still in mm-hmm. in in those things. Like I watched, this is just a complete aside, but I watched a movie called The Fun House, which is Toby to, Toby Hooper's yeah. movie. Oh, that's which a good is, point. That came from 1981, and mm-hmm. it looks like it came from 1976. So you know, yeah. 
uh, Mike. Speaking of Michael Mann, Thief. Thief feels like a '70s movie. Yeah, uh, it comes out that year. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 blah. What was the? Oh God, what's the fucking the John Travolta, Brian De Palma? No, oh, Blowout. Blowout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, you have stuff like that. So just to get back on the actors, uh, Cassandra Harris plays the Countess uh, Lizel von Schloff. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time of filming, I bring her up mostly. She was married to Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. Uh, this is supposedly this is where Broccoli met uh, mm-hmm. Brosnan because they had dinner or lunch together or something. Mm, yep. So that was interesting. Uh, Michael Gothard, who I thought looked really familiar, I didn't really see too much though. There might have been some stuff I had seen him in before, but he plays Locke. He's kind of this like uh, Weasley assassin guy. He's got mm-hmm. like the glasses and he just looks real sinister. Yeah, and, like, yeah which he leads to the most absurd like uh, like criminal match uh, thing ever because Bond sees him paying off the assassin at the pool party. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then, and, and, and it's, it's both absurd and well ahead of its time, but like it, Bond, like, like does this, it's this weird computer rendering of this guy's face yeah. In, yeah, yeah, when yeah. he goes to cues and, 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 <laughs> and, and, uh, and he's like, no, lips are a little bit fuller. No, no, but he gets all this stuff and then he gets the glasses. No, they're hexagonal, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And then, and then they feed that weird drawing <laughs> into the thing. And they're like, well, here's the guy, right? I'm like yeah, immediately. So I don't remember his first name, but it's like, here's, it's Ethan Locke. You yeah. know, we, we, we got him. Uh, also, I thought it was interesting too that uh, uh, Charles Dance, a uh, very yes. young Charles Dance, yes. uh, uh, plays uh, Charles Dance. People now probably mostly know him from Game of Thrones, but mm-hmm. uh, he was pretty prominent in the '80s. I, I remember him from Golden Child, uh, and then the '90s he was in Last Action Hero. Uh, so he was he was someone I knew of uh, when I was growing up. Uh, so it was interesting to see him. Um, uh, John Wyman, we already kind of mentioned this guy. This is the guy that he plays Eric Kriegler, who is the skier that's also yep. an assassin, who's supposed to be like the best shot ever. And then, but turns when he's terrible. trying to kill Bond, he's fucking awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's just, yeah, they they show him in a biathlon, like <laughs> and he hits every target. He's just amazing, and then he's like shooting people left and right. Then he can't shoot Bond. For yeah, well, and he, well, and then he'll show how good of a shot he is even during the scene where he's trying to shoot bond but he shoots all the wrong things just as sort yeah. of a toying with him type of thing yeah, and it's like i guess yeah why does everybody have to toy with him like he shoots the gun right yeah. out of bond's hand instead of just like i can just find his face and shoot it i have things to say about that skiing sequence but uh yeah i guess i'll save that for the review but mm-hmm. uh plus uh so and then uh I'll just Desmond Llewellyn and Lois Maxwell uh, do show back up as uh, Q and Money Penny. They're not in a t- well. Q's got a little bit to do. Lois Maxwell's just in one scene, which is not out of the norm. Or and uh, another tie into the uh, Sean Connery bonds in this. You see the hat uh, yes. get thrown onto the hat rack one more time. That yes, that is true. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think about that. More hadn't done that, had he? Nope. They they tried to do. I think they tried to do some other, maybe one weird thing in "Live and Let Die" that would be his trademark. But I I don't remember. I don't remember if they yeah, did. Yeah, I not. don't either. Um, they were uh, like I already said, they were able to come back to the UK for some of the filming due to Margaret Thatcher's tax cuts. Uh, the interiors, along with the ship's explosion, those were all shot in uh, in Pinewood. I think I have some more stuff on that in a little bit. Uh, the stunt driver, uh, Remy Julian, uh, he's used in the chase scene in the Spanish village. 
Uh, I just bring him up because he's in like, I think every Bond film through GoldenEye, he does a lot of stunts uh, mm. moving forward. Uh, when they were in Italy, uh, they were there at a time when there was no snow in, like, in the city they were filming. So they had to go get trucks. They had to go to the mountains, load the trucks up with snow, bring them back to the city, and just dump them. You know, that's, uh, I bet somebody got <laughs> fired for that because, you Probably. know, because <laughs> they were trying to keep production down. I don't know how much money it would have taken mm-hmm. to get a bunch of trucks to haul oh, there's no telling. all that snow to a place. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, most of the underwater scenes, especially the close ups, were faked on a dry soundstage. Uh, Carol Bouquet, uh, she had a pre existing medical condition, something nasal, something to do with her nose. She couldn't be underwater mm-hmm. uh, for lengthy periods of time. Maybe not at all. I, I, I didn't. I think maybe it wasn't. She just couldn't go underwater. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the scenes were in pine wood, and others there was an underwater cell set, which is which is a cool little set um, uh, that they built in the Bahamas. Um, I don't know why they didn't just build the set in pine wood, but maybe there wasn't enough room, or I don't know. Um, for the close-ups, they had an air machine that would like blow Roger Moore and. Um, and her hair up. They actually said that they kind of liked that they didn't have them underwater because they didn't have to deal with them being so wet. Yeah. Uh, so they did that. And then they also shot it at 70 frames per second. So it kind of just slowed it down and mm-hmm. gave you more of an effect. And then since they were wearing masks, you couldn't really see their lips moving. So they could just add the dialogue later. And then they also had foreground with fish tanks and they used those for the bubble effects. And it was like, I don't know. Did you see about it? It was like really like it, like it was I can't imagine the time, how time consuming this was because they would have to like line a graph on where the bubbles would be and then they would have to shoot the bubbles and then they would have to like. Yeah, they didn't get too heavily into how they did this in the behind the scenes. They they did mention that they weren't underwater in some of those and they did mm-hmm. uh, they mentioned they had to come up with something to do that. But they didn't really get into the weeds, yeah. I don't think, about how they did it. So. so- yeah, and the faraway shots, those are actual divers. Like those are those are or stunt divers or something. Those are people that are actually doing it. But then like the close ups of them, they had to do this other stuff. But I was just impressed that they actually took the time to like place the bubbles where they would actually be. I think mm. now you would just type in bubbles in a computer and have Probably. them, you know. Uh and maybe even then, like it wouldn't have it I don't I just it's just interesting to me how much how much attention they do pay to these details and uh mm-hmm. Uh, I think it shows even in the movies that aren't as good. Uh, yeah. Roger Moore was reluctant to film that scene where he kicks the car, which I, I will say when I saw that scene, I was like, that's weird. And I didn't know why, mm-hmm. but, but Moore said it perfectly. He said that was bond. Like he's like, but it wasn't Roger Moore bond. Like he's like, that's something Connery would have done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never really, I think, and I think that's what bugged me because it just, yeah. didn't, it didn't feel like something more would do. Yeah. He doesn't uh, seem like the, he seems like a kill or be killed kind of guy, uh, for the exactly. most part. And, and, and here's a case where somebody, he could actually save them, arrest them, something like that, I guess, or, or not or at walk least, away or walk didn't away. Have to kick it. Right. Yeah. Um, although this, this is a dangerous guy that's uh, hanging off yeah. the cliff. Um, but uh, but yeah, that was uh, was I think uh, uh, broccoli or was it John Glenn? I can't remember. Maybe both of them uh, said uh, it was. I think it was Glenn who said I just 
I, I thought it was perfect because it made him mm-hmm. tougher and what that's what he needed to be for this character and everything. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Well, and they went through some other possibilities and Moore even finally agreed that that was the thing that made the most sense. So he agreed to do it. It just, I can see why he thought it was, what is weird, but it's not, I, I kind of, I don't know that I liked it, but I, I, I didn't mind that the guy got killed. I just, it did feel a little odd when it, mm-hmm. and I couldn't figure out why it felt so odd, but I was like, because we haven't really seen Roger Moore do something like that. So yeah, maybe that even was though, all it was. Even though, the, uh, again, the very beginning of this this film shows him uh, uh, dumping a guy in a wheelchair down a s- chimney stack. So <laughs> that's true. You know, that's true. Maybe maybe but, it's uh, totally but the okay. The tone is so different. The, the tone, tone is, is so different, different, but it's yeah. he's still doing the same thing there. So that's, uh, you know, that's a very good point. That's mm-hmm. a very good point. Yeah. Um, and the definitely have kicking the car is a much more is a much better scene than uh, mm-hmm. uh, this is maybe my favorite thing. Did you see much about the monastery? Uh, yes. About- <laughs> yeah. There's quite a bit about the monastery. So they had to pay a Greek bishop to film the monastery scenes when they were in, they were in this uh, place called uh, Meteora. And, uh, but apparently the monks were not happy about this. Mm-hmm. And uh, they got to the point where they actually had to go to the Greek Supreme court Yep. Uh, they ruled that inside the monastery was the monks' like facility, like that was fine. But everything outside was was local government, so they mm-hmm. could film outside the monastery all they wanted. But the monks still were pissed, so they tried to sabotage a lot of stuff. And they would hang their wash out the windows, so they that would be in shots. Uh, they covered the outside of the monastery with flags and uh, plastic bunting, and they placed oil drums so the crew couldn't land the helicopters. Wow. <laughs> it was just the monks trying to trying to sabotage everything I just thought was really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what was what was some of the stuff you heard? Uh, that was pretty much it. I didn't oh, hear okay. the I didn't hear the all the stuff they did to troll the bond producers, yeah. but um uh did i is there did they have to build their own uh monastery set or did that did that not happen the interiors everything i saw about the interiors was all that was just built and shot at pinewood yeah maybe that's what it was maybe that's what they had that's what i was uh remembering on that um roger moore had a fear of heights uh, which seems really funny now mm-hmm. knowing that uh, poor dude, man. I, cause I have, I have a fear of heights. I even suffer from vertigo and I can't mm-hmm. even imagine what he went through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he did what he called moderate drinking, <laughs> uh, to mm-hmm. give him some courage for the, uh, the, the stuff on the, 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 where he had to do the fall off the cliff. Yeah. Uh, obviously he's not falling off the cliff, but he right. still had to be up there and stuff. Uh, Rick Sylvester, uh, Once this again. is the guy did the ski jump that we talked mm-hmm. about in spy who loved me. Uh, this stunt was very dangerous. Uh, they yes. had to have a sudden rope jerk at the bottom and, uh, which if it, if it was just off by an inch, it would kill him. Right. So they developed some kind of system that would dampen the stop. Mm-hmm. But then Sylvester said when he was looking down, you could see the cemetery. And then he said the box or whatever they put down there. Did you see, hear this too? He said yeah, it looked the, like a you casket. See, you actually see him talk about this. Like, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. He, yeah, he's talking about the cemetery in the background. <laughs> and so you don't have to, you know, uh, you don't have to know, you don't have to look too far to find the yeah. symbolism in that or whatever. <laughs> so he thought for sure he was going to die. He did not. It, and they only had to do it once, which I can't yeah. imagine having to do that more than once. No. Uh yeah, he's he's. They've had some. I love. I love. This is one thing I've got more into while we've been talking about these. I like want to 
look into other like action movies and stuff from this time period because the stuntmen stories are just fascinating. Yeah, they are. And then um, as far as the skiing scenes go, they had this guy, Willie Bogner Jr. Uh, he was a cameraman, but he was also a professional skier. And he was in charge of directing all the all the ski footage. Mm-hmm. Uh, he developed a system where he was attached to a bobsled so he could film yeah. the vehicle. Yeah. Uh, or behind because the Because the idea was that if he actually was trying to ski behind the bobsled he would mm-hmm. just lose ground because yeah, yeah. the bobsled's heavier so they they invented that uh, thing with the cables yeah yeah it's very cool and then for the ski stuff he created a set of skis where he could go front or backwards so depending mm-hmm. on which way he needed to shoot uh, he could do all this it's just it's just like it's just weird with a bond movie you just think they have all the money in the world but it's like on you know they're they're creating stuff on set like they're just like Jerry rigging stuff together yeah. at the last second. It's crazy. Uh, they did actually have somebody die in this movie, though, which was terrible. It was uh, hmm. one of the bobsled uh, stuntmen. His name was Pablo Ragon. Uh, mm-hmm. He got trapped under the vehicle, and he unfortunately uh, was killed. Uh, this was just a week after there was a USA bobsled driver named James Morgan. He was killed in a crash during a competition. Like those, both of those things happened within a week of each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whatever that competition was, or whatever that organization was, after that happened, they they had some. They changed a lot of the uh, uh, safety precautions and stuff like that. I, I don't know. I didn't write on all the specifics, but they just they had to they had to make some new uh, rules and stuff because of all that. Uh, that had nothing to do with the 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 bond, the stuntman dying, but it was just they just happened to happen right at right one right after the other, and it was bobsled related. It was just weird. Uh, I already mentioned the Full Metal Jacket thing. That's where the smokestack. Uh, John Glenn got the idea for the remote controlled helicopter after seeing a kid play with a radio controlled car. This is going yeah. back to the pre-title sequence. Uh, they didn't fly the helicopter through the warehouse. They had to use forced perspective. There was a smaller mock-up built. It, so it, it was closer to the camera and then a stunt pilot like flew behind it. I didn't actually witness it, so I don't know how it worked, but apparently that made it look like it was entering the warehouse. And then when they got in the warehouse, they had a fully built helicopter, a mock-up, but it was like, it was, uh, it wasn't moving. And then they used a stunt man for the scenes where Bond was, you know, dangling or whatever. We already mentioned Bill Conti wrote the score. Uh, like I said, he he did Rocky, like Chris said, uh, Karate Kid, the right stuff. He did the Dynasty theme. He was all over the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I said, he was he said he definitely used a lot of the influence from the John Barry scores, but he wanted to add a little more dance music to it, basically. Mm-hmm. So he called it dance and funk music. Uh, critics were really mixed on the score. For, like Some critics were like, that score is terrible, and some critics thought it was the best score that the Bond films had ever had. I don't know... Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't get the latter that I just said, but I'm kind I, of in between. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah. I mean, that seems like the more the safer place to be. I don't Yeah. Uh, there's definitely been worse scores and there will be worse scores. Title song for Euros only. It was written by Bill Conti, Michael Leeson, uh, Sheena Easton sung it. She was the first artist to appear on screen during the opening credit. The designer Maurice Binder really liked her look and he just decided it would be cool to have her in the credits. I guess that's for the audience to decide. I give my opinion yeah. later. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. Debbie Harry was hired to perform the song, but she quit because they wouldn't let her and her band write. She thought her and her band were going to get to write the song, uh, but they just wanted her to perform it by herself. Mm-hmm. And so that would cut the band out of, uh, any kind of, uh, uh, any kind of money, any kind of payday. And also she just wanted to have more control over it. They did write a song called for your eyes only. 
that they were intending to use, and it is on their 1982 album, The Hunter. Uh, mm. Yeah, and it's and it's and it's pretty good. I I yeah. I, I like it. I yeah, I, like I, I would have preferred. I like it, it better sure. than this. Yeah, I like it better than Sheena Easton song. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there was a decent amount of merch. I haven't talked a lot about merchandising, but this is one of the first ones where they actually had a decent amount, including like they had a toy car model of the Citroen, Citroen. I don't know how you say that, but the, oh, yeah. the Citroen yeah. 2CV, it's the one that Molina drives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the company, Citroen, they produced their own edition of the car and it had decorative bullet holes in the door. I couldn't find if that actually anybody actually bought that car. I guess maybe a couple people did, but I don't know. I guess it, like the only th- I don't hear much about cars being made specifically uh, to tie in. The only exception I can think of is uh Transformers. Uh those yellow mm-hmm. uh the Corvettes or whatever they were, the the Bumblebee. Yeah. I know they started making a lot of those uh, after that movie. Uh, Marvel Comics did a comic book adaptation. It was the second Bond film to get a comic book adaptation. Uh, Doctor No got one as well. Uh, Marvel was going to do one for Octopussy also, though. So this isn't their last. Um, I looked actually. I was curious because I have that Marvel Unlimited, so I was curious if it was on there, but it wasn't. I figured it's probably a copyright thing. They probably only had rights to it for so long. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would have read that, but I couldn't. I couldn't find. There wasn't a copy I could just get my hands on immediately. But for from what I understand, it's just a straight adaptation. There's nothing. I didn't see anybody yeah. writing like reviews about it or anything. Uh, they also made a digital watch. It was a 007 digital watch that was supposed to tie in uh, to the movie. Uh, as far as the movie itself, it did not get great reviews. Uh, a lot of critics uh, pointed out that they thought it was slow and dull between the action set pieces. Uh, critics did respond well to the cinematography and just the look of the of the action scenes. It has developed a positive following, a more positive following since. It's got a 73% on Rotten Tomatoes, which kind of blows my mind considering some of the ones we've talked God about recently why. that were in the 60s that were yeah. better. But Yeah, this one, the IMDb has it at 6.7, mm-hmm. which I think is a little bit too high. I don't think it needs to go much lower than that but that's too close to seven for me for this movie i agree um uh but uh yeah i'm i was kind of surprised to see the imdb rating on this one uh because this movie is pretty dull well, so, anyway. wait, wait till you hear this ign in 2006 ranked it as the sixth best bond film uh which at that yeah, time that's just been, plain wrong if they had casino royale on there i think that was like 20 films 21 films or something at that time mm-hmm I don't know. I guess there's an outside chance that I could see that actually being the case at that time. Maybe. Uh, I mean, maybe. You'd have, I mean, you would definitely, well, we could talk about that review, but you definitely have like from Russia with love, Goldfinger. I would put Boonraker ahead of it. Uh, Dr. Yeah, no. I think six probably still too I high, so. even in 2007. Entertainment Weekly ranked, voted as 10th best in 2008. Maybe. I, I still think that's probably too high, but I don't know. Um, I, w- I would like to know what they're finding great about this though. Like what are they, yeah. what are they, what are they, what are they discovering about this movie that was so much better than they remembered? Or is it, or is it a movie that they re- they watched uh, as a kid or something and thought, and, no. and now they're like, Oh, it's movie still. Yeah, great. I didn't write anything specific down that anybody said, but like, as far as the, the more modern reviews of it, it was mostly just like, they thought it, I don't know. It was like, this holds up better than expected. And people like the leanness of it and the simplicity of it, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. 
And a lot of people praise Roger Moore specifically. Uh, not a lot was said about Bouquet, which I think is fair, but um, although I don't know that it's her fault, but um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just seemed, I, all I ever saw was it's leaner. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's a little darker. It felt more like something Connery would have been in. Um, Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth, which I think is also could be considered a problem because it's not Connery. It's Roger Moore. Roger Moore Mm -hmm. is a very different Mm -hmm. bond. So I don't know. I mean, you're just kind of like sticking a square peg into a a circle or whatever the thing is. Mm. Um, yeah, there were plans that this is interesting. 2015, there were plans that Canada was going to do an adaptation. Canada apparently has this law. They, they, there's this thing called the burn convention. I don't know too much about it, but apparently it has to do with copyright law. And uh, Canada mm-hmm. enforces it. So basically in Canada, any author's published works automatically hit public domain after 50 years. Now, if they, and they've never, I, I couldn't find it had been canceled, but they've obviously never made the movie. Um, if they did make it, we couldn't watch it here. Like it wouldn't be, you couldn't watch it in the UK and you couldn't watch it in the US because we don't have that. We don't, we do not follow that convention. Uh, mm-hmm. But they thought they would still make money because they could show it in China. Uh, supposedly, they were going to have Ryan Reynolds. They were interested in Ryan Reynolds as Bond. Uh, mm. Jessica Perret, who most people probably, if you know her, you know her from Mad Men. Uh, Donald mm-hmm. Sutherland, Michael Ironside, and Christopher Plummer were also pr- proposed for supporting roles. But I don't know if anybody was ever approached. And like I said, even if they did make it, it's not something we would have access to unless we just went to Canada and watched it, I guess, or found another way to watch it i guess <laughs> yeah i don't know how that would work because you could still probably buy like a canadian dvd i have no interest in seeing it but i just thought it was interesting that it was it was talked about i really don't have anything else on the behind the scenes did you have anything you wanted to talk about that we hadn't cut i i don't think so um the the, the behind the scenes was pretty sparse on this one it was uh less than 30 minutes which is uh uh you know is low for all the different bonds that i've seen uh, I was just like, wow, that went by pretty yeah. fast. And uh, pretty much, I think you went over all the things that I saw in right. it. So, um, Well, then we're going to go to our next segment, and that is called A Review to a Kill. I've got you in my sights. Get the fuck out of my sight before I demolish you. What we've got here is failure to communicate. There's no need to shout. I'm not shouting. Why don't you stop your whining and get on with it? I've heard this shit before. We are going to give you our thoughts on whatever film we are discussing this week. This week, we are discussing For Your Eyes Only. I almost just said The Spy Who Loved Me. I have no idea why I almost said that. But we are discussing For Your Eyes Only. Uh, The basic plot is Bond attempts to locate a missile command system while becoming tangled in a web of deception spun by rival Greek businessmen, along with Melina Havlock, a woman seeking to avenge the murder of her parents. That is, that's, that's pretty much what happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. And it's, yep. it's a, with the first time we've had that kind of thing, was it, was it Dr. No, where we had a sister of somebody who, or no, it was Goldfinger that, uh, had, uh, the woman who got, yes. uh, you know, who got encased in gold and her yes. sister came and tried to kill yes. Goldfinger later. Uh, that was uh, the last time I believe we saw a revenge plot kind of get in. You could get mixed Spy in. Spy Who Loved Me kind of. Uh, yeah, Spy Who yeah, Loved Me yeah. for sure, yeah. I mean, that's um, that's directly, though, that's a revenge supposedly on Bond because Bond is the one that killed the guy. Uh, that's not the case here. This is... Uh, uh, well, the Havelocks are in, in the movie, because it's different, they're different in the book, but in the movie, they're archaeologists that were uh, brought on to, this is Melina's parents, they're brought on secretly mm-hmm. 
to try to find the sunken ship. And then they yeah. they get uh, they get killed very violently by a, a Cuban assassin. Uh, yeah, comes by in a like a biplane yeah. or something like that, and yeah, shoots up the boat, <laughs> they're like and... waving at the plane. And then they're like, get, and then yeah. they're getting concerned. And then it's like, it's like, oh, we we were expecting somebody to come by and fly <laughs> fly by and give us a wave or whatever. Oh no, now it's it's sinister. We see, yeah, we see what's going on now. Um. But uh, I don't know where we were. Anyway. Oh, we were just talking about this the the plot. You were talking about the revenge plot. Like this is definitely like yeah, it was yeah. A, yeah. It was it's kind of like Goldfinger. And yeah, there was a bit. In the the only difference here is that yeah, it's in Spy Who Loved Me. She doesn't know that Bond killed uh, her. Uh, I don't know lover, boyfriend, whatever. Uh, she doesn't know that. And this one, they these two women in Goldfinger and mm-hmm. in uh, this movie know exactly yeah. who it is. And Bond even asks her, you know, like, how did you know that he was here? He's like, well, I hired a private detective. Yeah, and she's know. like, no. uh, I, I thought I like I do like the the bow and the the bow and arrow that she uses though. Like she's a she's yeah, really good yeah. at bow and arrows, and so like that's how she kills the guy. Uh, at the at the eighties mm-hmm. cocaine or the eighties heroin infused pool party. <laughs> yeah. My favorite thing of that pool party, by the way, is oh. those two that guy and that girl get up and they run off and you think they're gonna go have sex. They go play tetherball. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're yeah. Like really excited. By the way, there there was something there was something from uh the behind the scenes on this pool oh, okay. party uh has a trans woman in oh. it. Now, of course, in the behind the scenes, they don't use any kind of proper terminology, <laughs> yeah. and 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 uh, the, they're just taught. They did not know it was a, there was a trans oh, woman in the mix, and and uh, John Glenn said, "Well, she was so beautiful anyway that you know that she bl- she blends in perfectly." This was uh, uh, Caroline Cossey huh. was her name. They did not know until after the movie was filmed, done. So I guess we haven't. I mean, we've kind of hinted around. So yeah, what? Just your overall feelings about this film? I know you've said it's kind of dull. It is. Um, I you know as, as you know as silly as that ski bobsled scene is i like all the ski stuff in this although the thing is is that at this point we have now had at least was it we've had at least two ski scenes in a mm-hmm. bond movie if not three we're gonna have more so now they're starting to blend in a lot at this point this is i remember when i was watching all of these back in 2006 my god man talk about mm-hmm. blending in you're just watching a bond movie every day and mm-hmm. it's like like there's there's even a bob there's like is there a bobsled scene in one of these in spy who love me or something somebody gets stuck in like a tree branch or something like that well the, there's a car what? that gets stuck in a tree in this one that's a car, though. No, it's not that. There's some other Bond movie where they have a stuntman who gets stuck in a tree that's hanging too low. And it may not be a bobsled. It may be something that where they're going down like a, a hill of some sort. But it's it's in it's in the recent ones. It's in like in the last three. There, there was a bobsled scene, except the by the end of it, the guy gets his head gets caught into like some branches. So was that on Her Majesty's Secret Service, maybe? could be could be i mean that's a very ski heavy i think it was yeah i think on her majesty's secret service is the other one because when you click that into google both this and for your eyes only yeah i think it was because this that doesn't so, yeah, happen that in was, spy so who loved me so it had to be on her majesty's secret service 
So it was Honor Majesty's Secret Service that has a okay. bobsled scene where somebody gets their head caught in a tree or something. So like yeah. even that type of stuff right now, we're seeing some repeat type of stuff. Um, so I, I kind of like that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, the the ski stunts and the and the and the everything the the one of the stunts that's supposed to be really spectacular and we talked about the rick Mm -hmm. sylvester thing and all that is just interminable Mm -hmm. like he go he's going Mm -hmm. up the mountain he's putting the pitons in he's like bitting the just you know he's getting the rope guy goes over and kicks him and then it's like there's the big fall okay now it's like the guy's like banging the pitons out of the rock instead of like just getting some scissors or something. And like, <laughs> I probably can't cut them with scissors, yeah, but yeah, exactly. you, you would think that there's something around that could cut those wires. And he's just like sitting there banging and it takes forever. It, like that whole scene just takes forever for me. It just needs to be a little bit higher paced, I think. But like, yeah, the, I don't like, I don't, I don't much don't think there's much urgency in the mm-hmm. story. The boat gets sunk with this ATAC mm-hmm. thing on it. And so now we're worried, oh no, somebody's going to get the ATAC machine and they're going to sell it to some foreign government that's going to use it against us or whatever. And they're worried about the Russians, although by the end of this the Russians are still cool with us somehow, I yeah. guess, because Bond movies are always, you know, like the Russian guy who we saw in Spy mm-hmm. Who Loved Me uh, helps out at the end, and there's that whole thing about detente <laughs> and everything again. Um, but, um, but like, there's no urgency to it because the boat sinks, and you're like, oh, no, it's out there, but, like, nobody finds it. It's almost like they're trying, they're waiting for Bond to, is, is, is that what happens? Maybe I missed something. Are they waiting for Bond to go find it himself, no, or do they just not know? I just where? don't know that they know exactly where it is, and so I think they're. I, I feel like they're kind of well because I know like what's his name is definitely using Bond and the British government uh, to try to kind of make yeah. things you know work out. So yeah, no, I think they're definitely using him. I mean, it's kind of confusing though because I'll tell you, be honest, it took me a minute to realize that the whole thing was an accident in the first place. That it, you know, they're just trawling. And they just happened to hit that mine like that. That wasn't yeah, like so because yeah. at first I was like, well, why didn't they just go ahead and go get it if they? But then I was like, oh, nobody destroyed the ship. That was just totally something that happened. Yeah, yeah. That that was somewhat that was somewhat like understandable. The only thing for me was like now that you know that this boat yeah. has sunk, it seems like you have the resources yeah. to go get it, and they just don't what? for a really long time and we're supposed to be worried about this ATAC when they never ever there, there's no there's nobody like if if Bond had found out somebody's out there looking for it that would mm-hmm. be a thing but nobody's out there looking for it it doesn't feel well, like well they're not anyway. even like at first they're not even positive it's sunk right they just know that it's missing uh and then, but I mean, mm-hmm. that's what they're assuming yeah. happened. Because how does a boat just go missing? But yeah, because yeah. Bond gets on Bond gets on that yeah. sunken ship, and he's surprised that the self destruct wasn't uh, yeah. initiated yeah. on it, and and uh, they find out that it's still there and all that. Uh, so yeah, it was a little bit confusing, uh, and 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 just it just kind of dead in the water for a really long time. No pun intended. <laughs> but it's true. Um, uh, yeah, uh, and and. You know the whole, you know the whole revenge thing, uh, where she's shooting arrows at everybody, <laughs> and then they get off and they He's there's Hawkeye. a there's a car chase, <laughs> yeah, there's a car chase scene that's going down through these mountains where people are like picking olives yeah, that was, and stuff that's like the that. The car gets like, caught in the tree, <laughs> right, right, and and uh, so and it just seems there's like a lot of like 
there's a lot of talking and and it's a lot of like let's set up uh let's set up the the julian glover character and like let's say you know it, like he's he's a uh, he's um he's saying colombo is the one who's behind all this and everything and then we and then bond goes through all this trouble to get to colombo and then colombo's like no, no it's not me you're looking for you if you've seen a movie before you know it's julian glover <laughs> yeah, you're exactly. looking for it's not, not i'm me. the guy from fiddler on the roof <laughs> <laughs> right right and uh and then they 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 staged that attack you know on on uh julian glover's ship and everything it just there's nothing i don't know there it just this is this is something that just kind of failed to grab me because i feel like i feel like to cut a, to cut out some some uh clutter in this movie we should have had a villain right mm -hmm. off the bat well, that we knew was doing something and none of this like oh it's this guy no it's not this guy it's this guy and all that that's keep that they keep doing here and like it's it doesn't even seem like it matters too much that uh that uh i keep saying julian glover i want to say his name yeah. christados uh it doesn't even seem to matter that much that he was a double agent and that he got no, a medal and, and again, all that. There's they there's a point where Bond like calls back to MI6 or whatever and 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 uh, they're they're like oh they were super shocked about this like you know and it's there's nothing to it there's no it's not like in uh, to come up with a recent example uh, Breaking Bad where Gustavo Fring is a, a pillar of the community and the cops don't ever want to like run it look into him because he's so well respected and everything there's nothing there's no point in him being a double agent in this there's like no conflict no, it, that I mean, comes Topol from that just mentioned and we it. don't we don't have any yeah we don't have mm -hmm. any history with it so we don't so it, it I don't know it just none of that just seemed it's to work the same for thing. me like I said I can't think of the Moonraker villain what was his name Oh, Drago. Uh, uh, it was Drago, right? Mm, I'm, I mean, I know Drago's also Rocky Four, but I'm pretty sure that was his name. Hugo uh, Drax. Hugo Drax. Drax, not Drago. So Hugo Drax, so, I mean, he's a double agent. And, and they actually do a better job in that movie of actually building this up. Like, you know, they show why he's a hero and why everybody loves him. And then you kind of get, mm -hmm. like, Topol, basically, we just get all the exposition from him. Don't even know if he's telling the truth at that point because he's also... Uh, a bad guy, even though he doesn't smuggle heroin. So I guess that makes you more bad if you smuggle heroin. But so it's very similar to Moonraker, which had just come out two years before this. And it's not as interesting mm -hmm. as that. So it, I, it's just a weird thing. And it also makes the British government look dumb as fuck because they just keep like, they keep like rewarding these people that are not even trying to help them. <laughs> it's like, and the, and this, subplot with the skater oh, no, has nothing. No, nothing i mean it goes I don't know nowhere like it's i don't know what it is either like it i think it's supposed to make us trust uh julian glover more because he's got a family and he's got he's got dreams with like regular dreams and everything but we're gonna trust him anyway because bond trusts him so we don't need any of that to if that's the reason like it, they don't even that the the skater and the and the trainer don't even lead them the only thing they do later is when they're actually at the yeah. monastery is tell them oh well, this is where he is or yeah. whatever that's the i mean they they would have found that out anyway so like it's not even like that bond needs information mm -hmm. from these women to get to the place that he, he gets it from a fucking parrot yep. man he gets mm -hmm. it from a parrot <laughs> just 
you could have cut out that whole thing. You could cut out like several things out of this. It's almost like they wanted to put more stuff in to keep it two hours. Yeah, and then you have the whole, and they're not even talking about the, and then Topol's trying, or Columbo. Columbo's trying to find out more about him. So he fakes that fight with the Countess. So then you have that whole mm-hmm. thing happen. That's like 15, <laughs> 20 yeah. minutes. And then he goes, right. Bond goes and has sex with the Countess and finds out some more information. And then, but mm-hmm. that doesn't even lead him to Columbo, I don't think, because doesn't Columbo come after Helm? And I don't know. Columbo gets it to where he meets with Helm at that office or whatever. And then he gives him, you know, that's when he tells yeah, them all about. I how, can't remember everything yeah. that happens there. He gets knocked out. Yeah, yeah. it's Columbo who knocks oh, him out. Right. Yeah. And then, and then he gets taken to the place. But then you find out that the, um, the character, once you find out Christados is the bad guy, then that shows that, was it Locke? Yeah, like Locke is actually working for Christados and not Columbo. Mm-hmm. And right. it's and because it, I think Locke actually kills the Countess, which I don't even know why they kill her. Like it's just it's just all this stuff. It's just like yeah, I don't know why they kill her either. And then <laughs> and then Columbo's supposed to be a really good guy after that because he doesn't smuggle heroin. <laughs> he smuggles I pistachios. I can't. It's like I did gold and diamonds and a little bit of pistachios, <laughs> and occasionally I murder. But don't 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 lump me in with those heroin. I mean, dealers. I'm okay. I mean, I can. I mean, I I don't. I I buy that like governments work with some shady people because they have to sometimes maybe like I could I mean that's been in enough movies to where I'm kind of I just I guess I can kind of accept that to a point but mm-hmm. every I, it's just like I don't know it none of it makes any sense like I feel like any kind of like basic research would have been able to disprove what they thought Columbo was doing and then tie that to Christodos Christodos was probably yeah. hoping that not happened but I'm just saying I I it just makes the I it makes the, the British Secret Service look like a bunch of idiots, basically. I guess that's somewhere behind the scenes there, where they don't want to investigate him because he's such a war yeah, hero I guess. and all that. Maybe that's the reason. Uh, by the way, the other thing about that uh, scene on the beach is there are two different parties there, and maybe one of the uh, oh, that's uh, the, right. God. So one of the other parties is who kills um, that's right. the Countess. You're right. No, you are correct. So, I did screw that up. Just a, yeah, but I'm with you. I, I don't know if I've really given my full opinion. I'm with you. I think it's boring. The not I hate to just say it's boring, but it is. It's just it just it doesn't have urgency. You said, and I think that mm-hmm. is. I think that is part of it. It's it's just really hard to get involved in it for me, because mm-hmm. I just don't even know like what we're trying to do at the end of the day. Like and I'm not even sure, other than getting that device, which is totally a MacGuffin. Uh, and yep. then I guess Melina gets her revenge, I guess. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then, and then just goes and well, has sex. It just ends up Columbo is the one who kills the, the oh, guy that true. she's looking that's at. That's true. Which there's a pretty, that's a pretty cool line because he tell he yeah. talks about, uh, how the Chinese say that if you're going out for revenge, you have to dig two graves. Yeah. And then he says yeah. it again. And then Columbo's the one who, who kills that yeah. guy and he di- ends up dying as well. So like, she's, he's like, you better, you better like, you know, uh, start bu- digging, uh, digging two yeah. graves. And then that's what happens was, is the guy who kills the guy. He, let's just quit. I'm just going to quit <laughs> trying to say anything, <laughs> trying to say words. No, but I like, I do. The Columbo character is, I to, Topol specifically. I mean, he does a lot more with that role than it's probably written as. And I think that's, I think the writing's mm. just not great. Cause I don't, 
like I can't even really tell if uh, if Bouquet is a good actress or not. I, I I mean I just don't think there's anything to that. You can't ever tell yeah. uh, like some of these. Like I I've been pretty underwhelmed with the acting of all the Bond girls recently. Yeah, I mean yeah, no, I, agree. I think Lynn Holly Johnson is pretty fun, but she's not very good. Mm-hmm. I mean she's she's got a fun character, but like going all the way through like all the way back to maybe God even. Even Jane Seymour doesn't have much to do acting wise mm-hmm. uh, in Live and Let Die. It's it might it be Honor Blackman. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's either Honor Blackman or uh, um, I don't remember her name in You Only uh, Live Twice, but I remember that being one of the more interesting characters in that movie. Uh, but what you're thinking of um, uh, Diamonds Are Forever, Jill St. John? No, no. Um, oh, uh, Diana Rigg. Diana Rigg. Uh, Diana Rigg is the other one that uh, that you you are impressed with yeah. the acting uh, of, and uh, see Honor Blackman and and Diana Rigg, and everybody else so far has it seems like they've picked them for beauty, and then they sure are beautiful. Yeah, There's yeah. no doubt about it. Okay. Uh, uh, but uh, the but yeah, they haven't haven't really run into a a great performance. And again, like you said, I don't even really know if it's if it's uh because uh it's i don't think it's because of them i just think it's they're not expected to do much and they and so therefore they are directed not to do much even Britt eckland and uh, of course that you know a man with a golden gun is such a bad mm-hmm. movie anyway but uh brit eckland is is you know doesn't have much you know, i don't know i mean Britt eckland might be the best of the roger moore bond girls acting maybe uh, not sure not sure. I haven't haven't even gone I back mean, to, I, to check I do on. I know, them. like, and uh, sometimes the bad, like the girl, when they have like the bad, like the the girl playing a bad guy, like they also have that character, like Grace Jones, and mm-hmm. will come up in a view to a kill. Sometimes that actor is 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 better, but I think they have a little more mm-hmm. to chew on because they get to be they get to mm-hmm. be bad, like they get to, they you know, yeah. There's a little more you know, and that's like a uh, Famke Jansen uh, and Goldeneye, you know, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And like, but I just, but it's like, it. I, I just, they just don't give her anything to do. So it's really hard to even tell it. Cause the love story is, it doesn't make any sense. Like it, this is the craziest, like, this is the most unbelievable, like romance or like hookup at the end of the movie that I've seen in any it of is. the Bond films. Um, it, mm-hmm. cause it, Roger Moore in this movie, like, I don't think if you had Sean Connery in this, it's better necessarily. But Roger Moore is just like he just seems kind of lost in the in the weeds or something. Like I I don't know. And people praise his performance, and it's not terrible, but like it's just not that memorable. Like I just he just doesn't really seem to like he seems like he seems like really like almost like like asexual in this movie. Like mm-hmm. like he's mm-hmm. not interested in yeah, doing he anything. Does. Um, yeah, like I think I, I mean it's understandable. Roger Moore himself in real life doesn't want to like you know have dalliances yeah, with yeah. these women I who are totally half his that. age. I don't but, know that Connery had but, that issue, but Bond, <laughs> but Bond, no, but Bond himself would doesn't seem to have that yeah. kind of issue. And like uh, it, the 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 way you solve this is just don't hire women who are like mm-hmm. this young uh in the in in the first place i mean 
they were they were doing pretty well. They had some women in their late twenties and early thirties. Well, even in the this Countess. I mean, the Countess is now closer. Like she's pro- that actress probably yeah. in her, at least late thirties, if not early forties. You know. Well, and yeah, and of course he instantly goes yeah. to bed with her. So you know that may, maybe there is something to that. But uh, but you know, I I understand. I, I, there's, there's yeah, it it just it just seems it's a weird. It's a weird situation yeah. to put him in because if he if the actor isn't willing to go along with this these women who are more than half his age, uh, then you either need to get a new bond or you need to get women who are more yeah, age. Yeah, exactly. And uh, but it's I mean it's not even just the the romance the sexual stuff. It's just he just seems really just like uninterested in everything that's going on around him. So it's just odd. And the action scenes or the stunt stuff is always impressive, but the skiing stuff, mm-hmm. my problem with that, there's a lot of mm-hmm. cool things that happen in that, but I feel like that's like seven or eight different set pieces that could, like it's yeah, so it's long. Lot. Like it really feels like you're watching it for like an hour and it is a good, probably mm-hmm. 25 minutes or something, which is really long. <laughs> like for that. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't time it. It, so, it does seem all it does seem because like a long time. Because you keep thinking it's over. Like he'll stop and he'll like do something, and then all of a sudden, like here's the here's the assassin again, and like now he's like going on this mm-hmm. other thing, and he's like he's like jumping over yeah. cars, and like it's just crazy. And then all of a sudden, those guys on the motorcycles, and then all of a sudden, the motorcycles have guns, and I'm like, why didn't you use those from the beginning? <laughs> like I just. <laughs> right and then and then you have this they they're when they finally crash land and everything you have the guy throws his gun then throws the motorcycle <laughs> it's just <laughs> like it's just it almost feels like something like out of like the simpsons or something like if like the simpsons mm-hmm. was making fun of something like this like that's what would happen like you're half yeah. expecting someone just to throw a kitchen sink like in the middle of the scene just you know like you're kind of waiting for that kind of stupid yeah, joke yeah um it just, it right. just, it's inter- like you said that about the clip thing too. It's just interminable. It's just, it, it just goes on way too long. And, um, mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't know. I just don't know what this movie's trying to be. Like, even though they, everybody involved seems to know exactly, but I, I don't, that's not what it became. I don't think I, I can't imagine mm-hmm. they were super happy. I think, I think, I think there's two things working here. One is they got what they wanted and that they grounded it. Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. thing that they got. But then they, but then I think they just, I think that there are things they still could have mm-hmm. cut out of this. Um, I think they didn't realize what excess that they put in here. Um, if they cut out a lot of the things we're talking about, the movie's an hour and a half. And I wonder mm-hmm. if they feel like there's a, it's illegitimate if the movie is 90 minutes yeah. long, you know, cause there's never been a bond. I think that no. has lasted just an hour and a half. Um, so I, I do wonder about that. Uh, you know, they're like, "Oh yeah, this is great," and they'll talk about the stunts and everything that went into it and everything. And it's like, well, that's great, but when I'm watching this movie, a lot of times I'm just sitting there, just kind of like, you know, kind of just like getting antsy because there's nothing going yeah. on and then where things and just go on I too don't long. Need, like I love, we love from Russia with love, and I even Goldfinger. Like I think Goldfinger is not that broad. Like it definitely has like kind of a crazy villain motive but like or what the villain wants Mm -hmm. to do but it's still like it's pretty simple it's not like it's not like it's not like moonraker or spy who loved me it's not Mm -hmm. on that kind of big level uh 
So yeah, it doesn't have a huge no. layer or and anything Dr. like no's that. Better than just this. And Doctor No's very stripped down. So I, I, I mean, Doctor No has a mm. layer, but it's still for the most part, it's pretty basic up until that point. Well, and and to be to be fair, they they are getting they back, are. quote unquote, to grounding it. They 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 didn't feel like they had done all bonds that no. were like you no. know. Uh, but, but, you know, so yeah, when she, once you start talking about those movies, sure, that's, that's what they're trying to get back to. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know, man. There's yeah, there's a, yeah, it's yeah, a little bit of bloat. Uh, I miss Bernard Lee. I found out when he had to go into his meeting because I don't know if they just had to write something at the last second because Bernard died or what, but that scene is terrible where he goes, he goes and like talks to, mm-hmm. uh, whatever that guy's name was, the, the, the chief of staff or whatever. Oh, the one where they're basically blaming no, him I'm for. Like, where he has, uh, like he shows up at M's office and he has to go in there and the chief of staffs in there and is that what you're talking about? I I thought that's so they they're basically saying you you fuck this mission oh, up. Oh yeah, and, I think that is the same thing. Uh, yes. uh, stuff like that. Yeah, but anyway. no, I just it's stuff like that, and I'm like, God, I I, I kind of guess it's it's kind of like watching that first Fast and the Furious movie without without uh what's his name <laughs> the guy who the uh. Paul Walker. What, Paul it's kind Walker? of like that first Fast and Furious movie without Paul Walker, and you're like, man, as silly as these movies are, Paul Walker was a true anchor that I never knew existed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just, I don't yeah, know. I, exactly. Lee was definitely missed, especially since we've been watching these so close together. It was like, wait, where's Bernard? Um, you know, there wasn't a lot. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Oh, I thought it was funny, too, when that guy shows up down underwater in the whatever that suit's called, that giant, like, mine... Yeah, uh, they yeah. play the Jaws. Like a big they hero rip six. off the Jaws theme, and I'm like, "Oh my god, mm-hmm. this is gonna yep. be Richard Kill." <laughs> I was like, and it wasn't. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was like, Richard Kill's in this, but it was not. So I was like, and I don't know. I, I it was probably better Richard that it Kiel wasn't. Does show but up. I just, I think Richard Kill does show up in I'm what Octopussy sure. or View sure to Kill. One of those. He's not a View to a Kill. He marries that. He marries that girl oh. that was in uh, was in Moonraker. I think that's what Maybe happens. Maybe that's an octopusy. Uh, I don't know. I could be wrong. No, that sounds really familiar, though. Maybe I'm just thinking of the end of Moonraker. Where oh, like, maybe. But that that's where he's like that to sounds us. so familiar, though. I believe that belongs to Mr. Gilmore. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah, and apparently too. he had like a really bad car accident, like a head injury in '92, a few years before. I guess, I guess I, he's yeah, not. I guess Unless, it's only two. Yeah. I thought I remember that too, but maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe we're just confusing a scene where he's standing by her. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I know he's not in view to a kill because that's one I've actually seen in the last couple of years because we send it. Uh, I did write, another thing that makes that scene where he kicks Locke, we talked about how Roger Moore was really uncomfortable with kicking that car. But what I find odd about that scene, mm. and I don't like that they do, is they give him that they give Bond that line where he says he had no head for heights. Like that kind of undermines oh. what just happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know if that was Moore's like, I need to say something silly. I don't know if that was a Moore request. Maybe because he was really uncomfortable with that scene. They even they even apparently discussed uh him throwing that that pin that dove pin in the oh, in yeah. the car and that's enough that's to true. knock the knock the car down and i guess they decided no that's too yeah. silly or whatever well, yeah because so. they do even show like it yeah. looks like because the car does move because i guess he shifts his weight or whatever uh and so the car mm-hmm. does move a little bit but yeah then he kicks it and then he says that he says that dumb line um i will say there uh things i like the kill hall scene that they took from the live it and let die book uh that wasn't used or whatever was it live and let die was that right yeah Live and Let Die, the kill hauling scene yeah. where they've tied them up together 
uh, and are going to push them into the water. That's got some decent suspense. Mm-hmm. There, we got sharks are back. Um, the yeah, only thing about that scene though that ends up being really <laughs> idiotic is Cristados. Like I don't like he tries to hit them with the boat. He clearly doesn't. And then he looks out and sees two sharks. He's like, "Oh, the sharks got them." There's no blood. Yeah. There's, and then he's like, "The sharks got him. We can leave now." <laughs> yeah. I, like, yeah. I. I, I mean, it's, it's a long line in uh, Bond villainy that uh, they don't ever verify the deaths. Well, it's you like, know? why are you even doing the kill Halloween um, scene? Just shoot them. Like, I. I mean, <laughs> like none yeah. of. Every single one of these Bond villains, man, they want to do a creative Bond kill, and it makes no sense, man. And then we talked a little bit about the ending, where in Moonraker at the end, uh, he is about he's having sex with the 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 Holly Goodhead, mm. right? I believe he's attempting yes, reentry. Yeah, that scene, and they're on video. Mm. This time, they're trying mm. to put in a call to him, and it's like a I guess it's his watch or whatever they're putting a call into, and he's having sex with with uh with melina and but the parrot's fucking there and the parrot starts saying bond bond and then sort of like oh we got him like like why would james bond say that yeah <laughs> and then yeah and then the and, and, then, and then they have the big margaret thatcher thing <laughs> yeah and then after like a couple of like a question and answer and another question and answer they're finally like oh no that's not bond at all and like, yeah, you should know that right off that the bat. That sounds that, that like a bond. bird. That does not sound like a human being. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And you, how, you, do you answer the phone and go, Chris, Chris, Chris? Like, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you do not. No. It's a weird... See, and that's the thing. I mean, it, like, it wants to be like the serious, grounded movie, but then it has that opening scene. It has that scene at the end. It's got him saying one-liners occasionally. It just, I don't, I don't understand what this movie is trying to do. I feel like the tone of it... It's all over the place. That's another problem with it. Like you said, a lot of these scenes just feel interminable mm-hmm. at times. Um, I do hate breaking down something and just saying it's boring, but I do think that is a problem. I, it's it's slow, whatever you want to call it. It's it it doesn't. It's not for me. Yeah. I'm glad people like it. I guess every one of these movie has fans. Uh, all right. Mm-hmm. So, are you? Did you have any other thoughts before we get to rankings? Nope. All right. We are now going to rank this film in five different categories. Our scale will be based on something that Bond holds near and dear to his heart, as long as they are shaken and not stirred. That's martinis. So for each category, we'll rank from one to five martinis, five being the best damn liquid that has ever passed your lips, one being the well liquor you had to settle for or were too drunk to care that night. I, The first thing is just our overall feeling, the story. This seems like this seems like an, like an automatic two-star story. <laughs> I don't like it's what it's two. It's a two. Definitely. <laughs> it it has the makings of something yes. that's a four or five, but it's a two. Yes. Uh, the performance. I'm curious what your thoughts on Roger Moore's the Bond performance. I think he's uncomfortable doing a lot of things yeah. in this movie and it shows it shows that he they've put in a situation where he has to turn down a woman, which is weird. <laughs> And there's another situation where he doesn't have any chemistry with another woman yeah. and he's sleeping with her by the end. And the whole kick the car off the cliff thing. <laughs> he doesn't seem like he's very comfortable playing this during throughout. Now, he's still uh, he's still Roger Moore, so yeah. he's still cool he looks and, good. and everything. He looks good. 
there it's just it's i i think this is a good two and a half yeah. performance i am giving it a two i just i i hate that because i do like him and it's funny because i think i'm probably going to give a at least a three to a performance he gives in a much worse movie but mm-hmm. uh down the road but uh he just like he's he yeah he just he just feels really like he's just not feeling it well for whatever reason mm-hmm. like he's just and it, it could be all those things you mentioned there could be a lot of other stuff going on he wasn't happy that they were not going to cast him like they were not even going to bring him back at one point like so mm-hmm. he's pissed off and uh that could be part of it um mm-hmm. but he still agreed to do it so i mean I, i'm sure things worked out but uh but yeah i don't He's he's very bizarre in this movie. It's funny though, like I like we totally respect the fact that Roger Moore felt uncomfortable with the age difference, but we're also saying like and he didn't want to have sex with this person. It's so weird. Well, <laughs> I've already explained why that's weird. It like it's not weird that he doesn't want to do that yeah. because it's absolutely true, but like the 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 they need to like I said they need to cast somebody who's older and not put a fucking figure skater in exactly. here. And, exactly you know they make need a, someone who is make it a former figure you know, skater <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like uh but just it just needs to be someone who's a little bit older and i understand the bond franchise you you know you're a business you have to appeal to a lot of people so you, you want to appeal to the young so you put in young faces in there i think you know it, it's it was this is a complete aside but the the tv show columbo mm-hmm like never seemed to go like it like it it knew what its audience Mm -hmm. was and it never seemed to have actors who were under 25 in those shows whatsoever and so uh so like so it always hit this certain mark every time and i think bond movies were under this impression that they just had to keep i don't know that it, they just had to always have that really young girl play the bond girl when they could have gone to many women who were in their 30s or and even 40s if they wanted Monica to that Bellucci would have been she was 50 i think when she did specter and oh really yeah, yeah who had a problem with that <laughs> nobody does nobody has a problem with monica bellucci at all uh, i think that's so there, right there's a number there's there's a number of women yeah. they could probably have found who were age appropriate and it wouldn't have been a you yeah know. i look they you know but and and you know the, the, like I said, the figure skater thing just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, there's nothing that may, like makes any no. difference in the movie one way or the other if she's in it or not, other than, oh, look at that. Bond is turning down sex for once. Isn't that good for him? He's got morals after all. And it's like, meh. No one could do without it. I was making I sure I was right it. about Bellucci, but she was born in 64. So, yeah, she was right around 50 if she wasn't 50. Because I think that came out in 2015. Mm-hmm. So, I, well, that's because she still, you know, she still looks like she's in yeah, her yes. late 20s or and early 30s. I mean, but, but regardless, like, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. like, are you like, you yeah. could put, like, if you threw Sama Hayek in a Bond movie, yeah. I mean, nobody would be like, that woman. Nobody bad an eye. Julia mm-hmm. Roberts, who, are, you know, whatever. Yeah. God, right. that'd be a really weird. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a weird bond, yes. Yeah, so yeah, I agree with you. No, I and I I agree. That's why it's weird for sure. Uh, but uh, it's just it's still like, oh god, this movie's so odd. Uh, the villain slash henchman. There's nothing here for me. I uh, I like Julian and, Glover. I really do. Yeah, but it Julian takes Glover's way too great. long. It takes way too long. To, oh, by the way, real quick, I do want to say, I don't think anybody's going to be confused. But Chris was talking about the Peter Falk TV show Columbo, not the not uh, the Topol. Yes. Columbo, which, mm-hmm. which now I kind of yeah. want to see Columbo with Topol in it. But uh, yeah, exactly. they should have made him a killer in one of those episodes or something. That would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. 
It would have been great. Uh, so, yeah, so the villain, so I guess it's Christados. Topol's kind of a villain, I guess, because he is, he does, he is, he does illegal stuff, but I'm giving this a one. And then you have, you side henchmen like Locke and, um, This is the least know, interesting I, villain I think we've had. I, I can't think of yeah. one. I mean, I mean, I guess, I mean, no, I think all the Blofeld incarnations, like I even think Blofeld and Diamonds are forever. At least, at least he, it's like it's Blofeld. We know it. I mean, it's you know he's in the movie he's the villain we're not and plus we have like the bruce glover and and all that stuff so uh yeah i'm giving this a one <laughs> i'm still i'm gonna go to i i, 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 I think i've i think i've told uh told you this before in in uh in my ranking systems a lot of times it's gotta be just atrocious yeah before i, I can and it's gotta be just fantastic for me to get to the five it, too Ju- yeah julian glover is perfectly fine because he's a good actor, so but like his that character is nothing. Like there's just nothing. nothing to that character. Mm-hmm. He makes it better than it has any right they, to be. They could have made it great with all the yeah, backstory, but especially like with said, him. Like, but like I said, they don't do much with that backstory. So Ugh. I'm not even. Gonna, we're not going to do the gadgets. There's nothing. There's nothing there's no, here. Yeah. yeah, and that's on purpose. So I'm not even going to do that. So the Bond song is all we have left. That is for your eyes only by Gina <laughs> Easton. <laughs> It is okay. <laughs> it's hard to rank this because it's such a famous song, but it's not good. Is it's it? not a is good it that song. Famous? I think it's I guess... a pretty famous song, man. I mean, it's um, probably like in that like second tier or something. Yeah. You're probably right. People like pe- more people know this than like the Living Daylights or yeah or the Cheryl Crow song. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Tomorrow never but, dies. I guess is what the, that was called. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, I mean, it, it, this is something that I think got pretty good regular airplay for a while, and it's you know it's no, uh, you're whatever, probably right, but, but um, it's got it's got like a it's got like maybe one moment in it that I'm like this is pretty good, but for the rest of it, oh yeah, I'm not a I'm not a big fan. I think of you're this. no, this I is, think you are right though. I think it must have been a little popular because this is kind of where Bond songs go for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Especially like this definitely feels like a precursor to what A View to a Kill is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Duran Duran song. And then the AHA song for Living Daylights. Yeah. And uh, and then after that, it gets like they kind of start going back to like, you know, they go get uh, Gladys Knight and then they get Tina Turner and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. So it kind of, but I've been here for the next few films. We're going to get some serious like 80s, yeah, uh, like melodies and poppiness and all that stuff. But I, I, yeah, I think this is bad. What did you say you gave it? I, I'm gonna give this a two as well. Um, I guess I'll give it a two. Sheena are, Easton. I mean, you don't have talented. to. You can make it a one if you want. No, because it's not I, as bad. What did I give a one to? It's not the worst. It's was it not the Moonraker song? The 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 yes. uh, Shirley yes. Bassey. Yeah, the, that uh, was the one. Uh, that's but, way worse man with the golden gun is way worse mm-hmm. even though man with the golden gun is a little more catchy but it's still yeah a, it's a terrible song this is not sheena easton is a good enough performer to where it probably elevates us more than it should but it's just like it's uh it's like elevator music or something mm-hmm. it's like yeah. you know it's just it's uh it's it's, it's definitely a um it fits uh, this movie relic of its time too 1981 yeah. like if you heard yeah. the song you're just you just 81 yeah. comes into your head and that's and the blondie know. song sounds so much more like a bond song and it's mm-hmm. so it like it kind of reminds me actually of the billy eilish song a little bit mm-hmm. where 
Uh, and it's not great, but it's it's a lot better than this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, yeah. yeah, I'll give it a two. All right. So next, we're going to talk about the book. We don't. I don't have a lot on this, but uh, we will talk a little bit about these. The, in this case, it's short stories. But this is a segment we'd like to call The Spy Who Reads Me. Reading is one of my very favorite things to do. Whoa! I'm not reading that crap. Summarize it in one word. Now you want to talk about reading? Let's talk about reading. How can you read this? There's no pictures. CinemaSense might have taught you the book doesn't matter, but for this segment, we're willing to concede at least kind of does. We're going to give you the nitty-gritty on what is similar to what you saw on the screen, what is different. And sometimes there will be some what the hell was Ian Fleming smoking when he wrote this. Um... So yeah, so this is based on two different short stories. This is uh, the, the 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 short story collection is called For Your Eyes Only. The short stories, as we've already mentioned, are called For Your Eyes Only, and the other one is called Rizico. Mm-hmm. Um, like we said, this book also takes this movie also takes a few elements from Goldfinger, uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which I think was mostly just skiing stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, and Live and Let Die. Uh, and live and let die is probably the most interesting because that's the the kill hauling mm-hmm. uh, scene. Even though, like we said, it uh, why they didn't just shoot Bond, it doesn't make any sense at that point. Yep. But anyways, uh, so for your eyes only is the first story uh, in the, uh, that comes up in the book. So this is where we actually get the Havelocks. Uh, they're not archaeologists. I'm not even really sure if it says what they do, but they are retired. They're living in um, Jamaica. I think is right. It's either Jamaica or the Bahamas, but they're living in the Caribbean. Um, they're in this really nice house. And then the book, the story opens up. This guy shows up with a couple of goons, this guy with the briefcase. And he says, Hey, my boss wants to buy your place. And they say, we're not selling our place. And then like Mr. Havelock says something like along the lines of, uh, as long as I'm alive, I won't, I won't sell this to anyone. And he's like, is that your final answer? <laughs> and then, and then the goons like pull out guns and, and so kill it reminds them. me and, of that weird scene in unbreakable <laughs> where, uh, Bruce Willis is like touching the, the guy's arm and he, 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 it cycles back to the guy and he's like, and it shows him at this guy's door and, and the guy at the door is like, hello. And he goes, <laughs> yeah, I like your house. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what inside? it kind of reminded me of. I knew <laughs> what you were going to say. <laughs> and the oh guy's like God. no i don't think so <laughs> it closes the door <laughs> the fuck it uh but you find out this guy works for this uh this big wig named air von hammerstein and he uh he wants this place just to have like he just wants a new place basically there's nothing really to it it's weird so they get killed the daughter finds out uh, also, the Havelocks are close and personal friends with Elm. So Elm hates that he does this, but he 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 asks Bond if he'll go do this mission personally for him and go kill uh, Hammerstein. But it's pretty interesting. Like I like this. I like. I was thinking like if they could have done this, that would could have been a really cool scene. Uh, that might have been more of a Connery thing, though. I'm not going to lie, but like that could have been really interesting because, and Bernard Lee would have actually had to show a little emotion and, and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So, like, these were these were people that meant a lot to him. So, I, I liked both of these stories for the most part. Uh, so, the Havelocks have a daughter. Her name in the book, though, is Judy, which I've already said. Uh, and she finds out about who killed them or who had them killed. So, she's after Hammerstein as well. 
what's interesting though is they have to go to Canada. Although they first they go to Vermont, and I never could figure out why they went to Vermont. Mm-hmm. But they're in Vermont, like discussing the details, and then they go to Canada, and then that's where he runs into, uh, that's where Bond runs into Judy, and then they end up, uh, they end up getting in a shootout. They kill Hammerstein, and then uh, Judy gets injured. But they make it back to Canada and they're fine. Uh, that's pretty much the story. I mean, there's not much to it. It's it's mm. not very long. Mm. Uh, so you could see they took a little bit of that. I mean, you've got the daughter's revenge thing is basically yeah. the main thing they took for that, and they took the last name. They just read. I guess Judy probably didn't sound exotic enough. Maybe, maybe that's probably why they went with Melina. Uh, at yeah. least they didn't do like a, a a sexual innuendo name or something. But right, uh, and then Risico. Uh, is where you get the drug smuggling operation stuff. So in Risico, M sends Bond to investigate this thing in Italy. Mm-hmm. You also get the Italy stuff. Uh, and you do have Christados and Columbo are the characters mm-hmm. uh, in the book, uh, which I already mentioned Fleming named Columbo specifically because he was referencing the, the Ferrari engine designer. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much, and that's all that is. It's uh uh, it pretty much plays out exactly like it does in the movie. Bond uh, is after Columbo because Christados puts him onto Columbo. And then when he finally encounters Columbo, he finds out Christados is really the one. I don't, the pistachios aren't in there, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah too bad. Else, everything mm-hmm. else. Now, the pistachios is 100%. If anybody's going to remember anything from this movie, that Topol wanted the pistachios mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, so I'm not reading that story ever if there's no pistachios. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so th- this was, I didn't like this story as much as For Your Eyes Only. It was fine. But you could definitely, mm-hmm. like, they did a pretty good job of combining the two stories. And then they just mm-hmm. kind of went, and like I said, they picked a few other things. And maybe that's another reason why the movie doesn't work, because it feels like it's kind of put together yeah. oddly. It does. I don't know, but yeah. uh, and but we are going to get into more of the short stories moving forward because, like I said, they start running out of books. Uh, I think they only have a couple more that they can even adapt at this point. So, mm-hmm. yep, I actually don't even know what we're going to do with this segment when we like get into the the Brosnan stuff because <laughs> a lot yeah, of that it's just start getting into a lot of hodgepodge yeah. some type of the, stuff. The, uh, some of the Craig stuff, because obviously we do Casino Royale again, and then mm-hmm. uh, Quantum of Solace is a is a story. But uh, but yeah, so that's that's pretty much all it is about the novels. There wasn't uh, the short stories. There wasn't really much else to it. I mean, they're they're pretty basic and they're pretty short. And uh, totally, if you're wanting to read the Bond books, I mean, I I wouldn't skip them. Uh, you're just not going to get to read about pistachios, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Very sorry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's it. That's that's uh, that's. Uh, for your eyes only. I the name of that movie just escapes my mind. It, even though we've said it eighty times for the last couple hours. Yeah, and it's only said at the very end when she takes oh, her clothes yeah. off, and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, that was, there is that a, was a thing. Uh, there is a dossier or file that says for your yeah, eyes only on that's it, like true. At the beginning of the movie. That's true. <clears throat> But yeah, it's weird. That's oh, that's terrible. I forgot she even fucking says that line. I remember thinking at the time though, like this is actually right before the credits. That would be funny as hell to do roll credits right here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's so stupid. She's like, "For your eyes only," mm-hmm. and then she like, "Is that when she takes her clothes off?" I can't remember. Yep, it's exactly or they right. Kiss. It's exactly when she takes so, her clothes off and says that. There are two Bond movies technically in 1983. Uh, one of them is in the official canon. One of them is the. Uh, the one we've been hinting at, Never Say Never Again. But Never Say Never Again will have to wait because that didn't come out till the fall of 83. And a little movie with the weirdest title ever, Octopussy, 
came mm-hmm. out in June of 83. I think it's mm-hmm. June. June or July. It came out in summer of 83. So, uh, yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about next week. Also, before we go, we have social media. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter. Uh, we are at GoldSpy007. Uh, you can also reach out to me directly on Twitter. I am at SamLoomis13. You can email us at golddiamonddeath007 at gmail.com. Uh, and if you like this podcast and other things under the CinemaSins brand, we also have a Patreon you can join at patreon.com slash CinemaSins. And if you have a second to leave us a five-star review at your podcast listening app of choice, we would appreciate it. So thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us again next week. We will talk about Octopussy, uh, which we're probably going to say as many times as we can. Exactly. But uh, until then, keep the martinis dry and shaken, the Baccarat shoe moving, and the Aston Martin fully gassed. This is Chris Atkins and Jonathan Watkins signing off, and we will see you on our next mission. (laughs) 